Hey, this is Nathan Fox, illustrator, artist, comic book guy, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Not a single snipe from New Jersey. Amazing. You were free and clear on that. Well, even on the week he, he is here, we should just get him after I do the world. He'd be all flustered. Well, because we all want to spend as much time with each other as possible. So I mean, you know, get on there. I, I, I enjoy a little pre-show chat, and then our long-ass, winded post-show chat. Yeah, if you and Jason get on about the wrestling, sure. Nah, 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 yeah, nah, nah. <laughs> it's like he's here. Why well, did I didn't have this I can't do it like, like he uh, can. Nobody can. He's irreplaceable. It's true. The irreplaceable Jason Wood. Ooh, not, yeah. not here this week. <laughs> so then he's, so then this week he'll be Black Bolt. Ah, I see where you went with that. You still didn't see Ant Man yet, did you? I didn't. This fucking chair, man. I fixed it and it feels more comfortable, but it still creaks like a son bitch. <laughs> creaks like your bed on a Saturday night. <laughs> the, uh, why, why, why haven't, why haven't you seen it yet? What's your excuse? I'm working on a special project, so I haven't been able to, uh, get away, but I will. I, 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 I approve that. Holy shit, it's a fucking spider in my room. Oh, you're not one of them, are you? Dude, I can't stand little fucking crawling things around me that I don't have, like, control over that I gotta. Dude, Spider-Man is your favorite hero. I know! What is wrong with you? Because <laughs> I wasn't expecting some little fucking thing to start crawling out from next to my chair. I could see a bat. You know, bats are big. They make a lot of noise. Sure. They're extremely conspicuous. A spider is not going to hurt you unless you get all naked skin next to it. Well, I'm wearing shorts. Oh, my God. Wow, that's... I, are you serious? Who's calling? I have no idea. Hey, Jason? Oh, my God. That is Jason. No. It's my sister-in-law. Boy, this professionalism out the wahoo wow. on this episode. We need Jason, apparently. Seriously. That's my new Samsung Galaxy S6 Edge. Ah, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah. I love it. Uh, compared no, to what you had, sure. Yeah, see, that's how you do. I'm all up in this phone, like Jason would say. So there we go. I think we've vamped enough. Hey, everybody, now that the house phone's ringing, it's 11 o'clock comics, episode 381, and I am, as always, Vince B. You are, you are Vince P, and, and I am uh, David A. Price. And the silence from the cheap seats tells us that we are missing a member this week. Yes, that's it's true. Jason Wood will not be with us because he's on assignment somewhere. Somewhere, yeah, literally and on assignment. He is, and uh, you know, y'all know his uh, extracurricular activities, so you can put two and two together, and you find out why he's not here. So, but David and I are here, and that's all you need, right? Yeah. And you know what else you really, really need in your life? I think I know. Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. They are the absolute best comic fulfillment service. Why? Well, just listen to this. You can get sent to your very home. This is a book by a little name on the periphery of the comics industry. He's like the little engine that's kind of sort of trying. He's, he's trying to break in. The name of the book is called I Hate Fairyland. <laughs> 
And the, the seldom heard, seldom seen is named, what's his name? Uh, Scott, is it, is it Scotland Young? Young. Oh, Scotty, Scotty yeah. Young. Yes. Uh, oh, come on. The artist and mind behind Rocket Raccoon and The Wizard of Oz is trying it solo this time. And you know, it's going to be good. Of course, Scotty doesn't serve up anything less than his best. From Image, we read the first issue. If you want to know about it, listen to last week's episode. But the cover price on this puppy is a reasonable 350. Scotty put a lot of work into this thing. But you, as a DCBS subscriber, can bring it home for a dollar seventy-five. Do the math. Fifty percent off. From IDW, another small name. Mr. Walt Simonson. Going back to the well for the Ragnarok. Making copies. Nice. Um <laughs> but you can get Walt Simonson's Ragnarok for a fraction of the $24.99 cover price, a 50% discount to be specific. $12.49. I'm in the middle of reading, I think I'm up to issue three. I like it very much. And you can like it very much too, because you will. Last but not least, from our buddies at Archie. Now this is a mature reader's title. Don't let the publisher's name fool you. They're not messing around here. This was a revival of uh, another one of the Red Circle heroes. It's the Black Hood this time around. Trade paperback volume one. It's called Bullet's Kiss. Uh, cover price is $14.99. But you know the drill. If you're a DCBS subscriber, you can bring it home for 50% that. $7.49. You're not going to find comics cheaper anywhere else. You don't even bother trying. Take our words for it. DCB service. Dot com. Go there and multiply. Multiply. Yes. Multipass. Turn your, your paper money into Reed Richards' unstable molecule paper money. You can stretch it, like, really, really far. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, that was forced, <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, it's all right. It, you, sometimes you got I it. know. It's true. Do your thing. What are you drinking? I'm glad you asked. I hope so. Well, Jason's not here, so I took that as a special occasion of sorts. And I'm drinking from Flying Dog more... Of the raging bitch, and that was a joke, which you didn't laugh at. Because I was about, to, I was, I was drinking. <laughs> I figured I had time. I love this beer. Not only is Ralph Steadman plastered all over every label and the the carrier and the case, which I'm saving the case by the way, the cardboard. This is just a really tasty beer. Is it hoppy? It's a bunny. It's, it's extremely hoppy, and just how what, I like what it. What color is it? Caramel. It's a little dark. I can't really tell because I don't use a glass right. and my pinky is not sticking out. So, so um, I, it, I would guess that it's dark brownish. It tastes like it's dark brown. I should pour some out and find out for sure. But yeah, it's, it's looking dark. Okay. Just again, just how I like it. It is true. It is true. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, of the hoppies and the, uh, um, and, and the, the dark thicker, Beer. I just done that. But you are a fan of those little colored things that grow on the vines. Oh, yes. 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 And for you tonight, I am drinking some. And it is, uh, I'm, I'm having some more of the, uh, just want to make sure it is the right. It's not, yes, it is Redwood Creek Merlot. I love the Merlot. I love when you drink the Merlot. I don't have a taste for the stuff myself, but everybody knows that. We are we are incredibly upbeat for being one shy. This one week. shy and and more or less a day late. Yeah, which well, yeah, you know thing because it, it it originally 
um, I had requested Tuesday because Wednesday I went to the dentist and I didn't think I'd be up for it last night. And, uh, I was kind of right, but, um, as the week started, things kind of started to go off the rails and, uh, we were trying to accommodate everybody and we thought tonight would have, um, but sadly, alas and alack, it, 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 you get two of us and, um, you'll love it, but it's, it's a, uh, um, yeah, I think, I, I think we'll do all right and I won't, um, Actually, and this is great because I'm sure when we're done tonight, um, Jason didn't want to be here for me picking Vince's brain, which I'll share with everybody later, but, um, that. You pick my brain. Yeah, you got, you, you got some, uh, constructive criticism. Oh, I did. You will be for, yes, I've been waiting to hear from you about something I showed you. Oh, you're going to make me do it online? No! Oh, okay. That's why I'm saying Jason isn't here tonight because he didn't want to have to hear it. Ah, it was all good, most of it. <laughs> no, nobody's, per- nobody's Dude, perfect. Nobody's perfect. Come on, I know. Come on, come on. So anyway, uh, what do you want to start? You want to start off with uh, the big one of the week? We should, but first, I would like to say, uh, if you're in the mood, we would really appreciate an iTunes review. Oh, be, 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 yes, because the, that is the thing. Those are the things, sorry, that generate interest in our show in terms of the the ranking and all that garbage. And uh, the more people we can reach, the better it is for all of us because we just want to talk. We want to bring the, the love of comics to everyone. But if you are going to denigrate our show with the uh, a bunch of z's in the title and tell the whole world we're boring i gotta take issue with that because informed we may be and opinionated we may be but there's one thing i do not believe the three of us are and that is boring so i question this person's definition of the word that's all i can say but uh you can leave a negative comment. We we like that. But if it's not um particularly true, like even our biggest detractors can't say we're boring. So please, do us a favor. Leave us an iTunes review. Jump on the Facebooks and join our Facebook groups because uh we have a lot of fun there. And if you're old school, we even have a forum and we love it very much. And David, where can they find the forum? The forum is at eleven one ones, two ones o'clockcomics.com Now I almost never do this because I don't like to get on and call people out but I've always said what is the one bit of critique that I absolutely cannot stand it's if you call us mediocre that means we didn't push you to either side of the line we're just flat in the middle mediocre is the most derogatory thing you could ever tell me that I'm mediocre because you you have to either take issue with what I say or David says or Jason says. Like you either agree with it or or you don't agree with it. But how could it be mediocre? Mediocre to me means boring. So if you call us boring, that gets my old grandpa panties in a bunch. Single us out. Tell us what you don't like. That's great. Tell us what you do like. But don't don't call us boring. That's not good. It isn't. It isn't. It's it, that that's low ball. All right. What are we going to talk about? Sorry for that, but I just had to get that off my Harry Sisley and chest. It is, Harry. I think there's a book you want to talk about came out this Wednesday. We could. We could. Um, let me, uh, let me bring it up. But yeah, we, um, it's, feels like it's been a while and uh, don't start singing stained, but it, it feels like, um, oh, I wouldn't do that. 
me and the mini do that whenever one of us says, or whenever anybody else in the office says, yeah, it's been a while. We, we shoot each other a look and then we're like, what, what's it been? And then one of us starts singing it. But, um, whenever anybody I know, when I'm, I'm good friends with on Facebook also uses that, that term, I, I look for the YouTube video and put it in their timeline. Uh, oddly enough, I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, really? I've never heard a single. Yeah, well, yeah. I probably have in a movie or something. No, you've heard you you've heard this song by by the band Stained. I can't. S D A I N E. And 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 it's yeah no it, you you've I know you have. And now Maybe people will post it on on the Facebook page. Saying, hey Vince, go here. <laughs> um, the, the book in question. Oh yeah, is that's what we're getting at. Secret Wars number five of eight. Jonathan Hickman, Esad Rubik, Eve Sorcina. Oh my goodness. If you've been playing along at home, we have been saying something since the beginning. And one of the things we've been saying and kind of dreading in a little uh, way is that there's going to be a deus ex machina to all this. And I pinned it on Franklin. And there's one panel in particular <laughs> that really makes uh, me think that that's the way this is going. Uh, yeah. Um, in a nutshell, big spoilers if you haven't read Secret Wars 5. Fast forward about 10 minutes. Um, and if you haven't read number four. True. Doom um, eliminated Sheriff Strange because he did the right thing and did not corral our uh, freedom fighters from the uh, 616. Doom didn't take that um, too well and just obliterated Steven. Good on you, Steven. And now Doom, in the pages of Secret Wars 5, is coming up with a bunch of lies. Mm-hmm. To, to placate those around him for why, um, Steven is no more. They, he's blaming it on the, uh, the freedom fighters. Yeah. He's, uh, he's telling Valeria, you know, don't question me. Yeah. Child. He's like, I, I need as much info as possible in order for me to find these people. And he's like, no, you kind of just need to do what I told you to do. And, yeah. and it's, so you are going to see the threads, I think, start to unravel at this point. Right. But the one panel in question comes from the mouth of Mr. Franklin Richards. Right, man. And, uh, he was, um, I guess enamored with Mr. Strange, Dr. Strange. Yes. Sheriff sure. Strange in this case. And, uh, you know, he, he liked, liked him a lot. lot. Yeah. He did like yeah, him a lot. So much so and that he, he... <laughs> and he proclaims directly to the reader. This is not to anyone, um, on panel. He's looking directly at the reader and he says, when I find out who did this, I'm going to mash them into little pieces. Just you watch. Just you watch. And uh, I don't know. If I was Victor, I'd be uh, quaking in my boots a little bit because we know Franklin. We know what he can accomplish. Yeah. Right now, Franklin is just... Um, Flying? Well, <laughs> he just he, he strikes me as... Uh, Idiot savant. Yeah. 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 He is, he is straight up just, um, he, he's acting mighty, mighty touched. A, a lot of peculiar going on there. And he, uh, and, you know, I like the, the subtlety, the subtleness of, of the, uh, cause they did it a couple of, they did it a few issues, um, where, where Ribic will and, um, and Scovia will play little tricks with the light. Because if you, if you don't pay attention, you do miss Franklin's hand glowing and mm-hmm. causing the foliage to grow uh, 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 and make a wreath around 
Steven's neck. Um, He's almost like Nilo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, where uh, so the um, that's a good question. Right? So um, and the the whole uh, I mean, Franklin is even one of the heads of state because when you get to the cast page, you you have God Emperor Doom, and then you have Royal Consort Susan Storm, Valeria, head of the Foundation. Unfortunately, sadly, pissing me off is uh, that there's a nice X over. Stephen Strange, Sheriff of Agamotto. Uh, That's cold. And, uh, and then you have the foundation kicking off with, um, Franklin, Alex Power, Dragon Man, Bentley 23, Nostradamus, Night Machine, and Psycho Man. And, and it's, um, there's also another, see, this is, this is the worst page ever in, in any comic book because not only is Dr. Strange, or I'm sorry, the Sheriff X'd out, you also have, uh, Cyclops <laughs> slash Phoenix X'd out at the bottom there. Um, but pretty cool conceptual hook to make Cyclops Phoenix too. I mean, that's neat. It, it's not the first time it's been done. No, but it was, it was fitting. It, it's, Plus it's, he was the sur- last surviving, um, X-Man. Uh, when the Phoenix entered his body, it said, I'm in you. <laughs> it's like you used to be to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, seriously. <laughs> but it's, it, the, the fifth issue, I mean, o- overall, it's, it, it kind of, we finally, uh, get, uh, get the scoop on what happened at the end of the, uh, the new Avengers, Avengers run, yes. uh, leading up to yes. this where, uh, where the Beyonders appeared and, and Doom and Strange and Owen, Owen were, uh, facing down everybody who, uh, was, I guess, coming for them, but, Doom was making his stand and, and we see what Steven was talking about in, in issue four where, uh, they were both offered or they coped, it was theirs for the taking, uh, but Steven couldn't and, and, uh, it fell to Doom. So, um, I think it was a crucial revelation. This issue I think is the turning point because Hickman kind of uncovers most of it as, as far as how this world came to be and i love how you said owen like Gollum. owen like like he's disgusted oh, with his own, that, that, his own name that's also from uh throw mama from the train okay <laughs> haven't, haven't seen that either it's, it's all right dude it's my like um but uh so what they did was doom and uh it really hinges on the molecule man like doom and steven and the molecule man created copies of himself well, the Molecule Man, in every one of these universes, and they were like little time bombs that would go off and bring down these alternate realities until there was only one. It's almost like Owen was the incursion. Yes. I think this issue is really smart. Um, and like I said, extremely necessary, because before we just took it as face value. Okay, you know, the, the, these Beyonders are going around and they're ravaging all these universes for whatever reason with the, the, uh, the, the cast offs from Ex Nihilo's little, uh, initial for, foray into the, the Marvel universe. And, um, it, it just, it didn't seem like what's what would give the, the reason, the Beyonders this reason to just go eradicating things. Well, they were kind of bored. Yeah. Basically they were bored. And so they saw, you know, progress and now they wanted to just, you know, snuff out stuff. But that doesn't really, that doesn't really wash. I'm, gl- I'm glad Hickman added another layer with these little Molecule Man time bombs. 
the uh at at first blush as as I'm reading it this the issue especially after after last issue with with the um our heroes who emerged from the raft uh showing up and and uh doom having a a, a battle of sorts with them as I'm reading this of course you need some closure so there is the the funeral for a friend and you have um the uh then you just have a lot of a, a lot of pages where it's just doom and molecule man talking and as i'm as i'm reading it initially i'm like this this kind of feels like like a filler issue like we're almost treading no no no, no because i am like i'm like this is the fifth issue after this we have three issues to go and and i'm like i'm not as i'm reading the issue i'm like i'm not i'm not getting a sense of any momentum happening from here but but that that changed by the time i got to the end of the issue um right. especially with you know when once we we find out what happened because you know i i love when we have mysteries solved in that regard but then we also get the um the the different battle worlds uh in the issue but then we have uh that that last panel is yeah i mean you have that big page but the last panel in the um in 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 the lower part of the lower right part of the page is uh is is chilling it it's I, nothing good ever happens with this dude smiling no he's a little slim too Looks a little, little, little slim. Well, like he took off a couple. Probably pounds been stressed. There's been a lot. I don't know yeah. how much has been eaten. There's, uh, but it's. Um, David's talking about Thanos, of course. Yes, yes. That Thanos is is staring up at the shield at the wall, uh, and and I'm thinking he wants to come in, and and I don't, um, you know, I I, I I don't think he just wants to come in. <laughs> I I think he wants to bring it down. Can you imagine? Speaking of incursions, if Thanos somehow drops the wall between Doom and everyone he's been abusing for Doom knows how long. Well, that's not going to be pretty. When, when you look at the cover of of the next issue, it's uh, it's Thanos taking on a shitload of Marvel zombies. Yes. So, um, <laughs> Modok's awesome. Yes, yeah, right. It looks like Eddie the Head. <laughs> he it does a little bit somewhere in time. Uh, no, it looks really cool. But I just want to clarify one thing I said before. I made it seem like Doom and Steven created the Molecule Men and planted them. I think I did say that, but that's not true. No, the, the Beyonders created all these little Molecule Men. It's just that Doom figured it out and got to his Molecule, molecule Man first and imprisoned him. So he couldn't go kablooey. And it's, it, it, it's, it's a, no pun intended, a strange conversation they're having, but, uh, even, even, even then, um, you know, Doom won't just come out and confess what he did. I mean, he's telling Owen that, no, no, it was his doubt. That, that, no, he's a liar. But it's, but what's hilarious though is, is Owen's like, oh no, it was, it was cancer, right? Cause it's always cancer. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of fucked up. But yeah, you know, I mean, that, 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 that's one that actually sticks in the Marvel universe at least, but, uh, it's, um, I see Willem Dafoe in this role as the molecule man. Really? Willem Dafoe would make an awesome, it, it, as play it, with this dialogue. Yeah. Oh Dafoe, yeah. 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 Dafoe would rock it. Uh, no, I thought it was a great issue. Um, do you think there's any resentment between Franklin and Valeria? I mean, he's older than her and it, it this just came to me. 
when you were reading the uh, the hierarchy, how top tier right. is Doom, Valeria, right. and uh, Sue, and then you know you got your foundation, okay, which is essentially the also lands the, the no, but they're important. I mean, Nost- Nostradamus is one of the foundation, okay, that's pretty important. Uh, yeah, Psycho but he's Man, hanging out Psycho Man, so it's like uh, I like the Psycho Man. I, no, like well, I. He's imp- he's he's very powerful. I don't think he's been utilized. I mean, Micronauts aside, the Fantastic true, yeah. Four have always slapped Psycho Man right. down. But you're you're in a in a foundation where you're on the same level as Alex Power. <sighs> There's got to be a little bit of resentment between Franklin and Valeria. I mean, maybe he didn't express it, but I'm thinking there's something working on our boy more than just being sad that uh Sheriff Sheriff Strange has been been killed and he seems to be infused with some pretty formidable power. I mean, I don't know if he's doom level, but he can fly, he can make plants grow. Um I, I there's got to be something going on with Franklin. And you said idiot savant you did. We call, well, okay, I did. We I call, yeah, we call that, that terminology is used. I don't, you know, it's not great, but there's a, there's a personality profile or an emotional profile that goes along with that. And that to me says that maybe they don't, those, those people don't really act or talk or speak or think along the lines of quote normal people. There's like no filter. Right. Like someone so, with Asperger's. It's just, you know, what's on that they, they don't have social skills. They don't have the ability to, to express themselves like you would right. think someone with, with I'll say common sense or decency right. would express themselves with. But that also says to me that maybe the stop gaps aren't there. Maybe he uh, uh, when you know, when pushed to a certain extent, he may just for or not know or forget about the, uh, you know, the, the procedure or the protocol and just haul off on Doom. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I actually don't want that to happen no, because no. Franklin being the, the Deus Ex Machina is playing. No, and, and, and I'm not, I, I really, I don't want Marvel's event of the year to culminate with, with Franklin versus Doom. I just, yeah. that, that's not, that, that's not an, oh shit, I'm at the edge of my seat moment that that that's not a battle i really don't think anybody's clamoring for right he's got to play this really really close to the vest because he could be if, part if of it he could be a mole he could he could slip something but i mean him right landing the the death blow if you will would that, that yeah. that's not that's a big no that's no not, that's not um, i want to say number two uh or b depending on which checklist you're using, yeah um if franklin is the reset button i don't want that either We've seen that. You don't, you don't want heroes reborn, reborn? No, no. I mean, and, and, you know, Hickman can say it's homage. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's been done once and those aren't the kind of things that you can, you can put back in the box and use them whenever you want. Franklin single-handedly rebooted the Marvel Universe at the end of, of, um, what was it? Uh, Onslaught, um, no, the end of Age of Apocalypse, right? Or was it the onslaught thing? I forget. One of those two, that with which we're tied in together. So we don't need Franklin to to be the 
the savior here. We need him to do something, but I, I, I don't know. I give it up to Hickman to, to find a way to use him in a, in an oh shit type, type moment where he, a revolutionary way. Was it Age of Apocalypse from, uh, Legion? Did that, then, then that, then he caused it? Yes, he went crazy. And, but Franklin was the reset button. For Onslaught, that, for, for Heroes Reborn. Hero, heroes Return right. after Heroes Reborn. Which came after Age of Apocalypse. Yes. Okay. So I'm pretty sure, yes. No, yeah, it did. Okay. Um, so yeah, Legion instigated it, Franklin fixed it. Um, but, and we're probably got something wrong, but that's okay. We always do. Uh, nice profile of Susie. On the uh, the funeral for a friend uh, page, very nice. I'm glad that they have them all in white because it accentuates. Yeah, they they are all in white. Um, the, I mean, that's just that that that's Doom's thing. But the um, yeah, I it was it. It's a good issue. I um, it is, I, and it's color color coded too. Yeah, that's true. yeah. There are there are moods going on with this. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yep. The uh, the the hidden. The fortress, if you will, for, uh, for Molecule Man is, is pretty neat because it's Between pretty much hidden in plain sight. Uh, <laughs> but it, um, and I don't, I think we, we've touched on some of the beats and, and may have quoted a, a line or two, but I, this is an issue I think that, uh, that you need to read. It's not, it, it's not, oh, I'm not going to read Secret Wars, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll listen to podcasts or I'll read reviews or something. This is one of those issues where, especially if you, if you were reading Hickman's Avengers and you're like, all right, cool. I, I read Avengers. I'm good. I'll come back to everything once Secret Wars is over. This is more of a continuation of that Avengers run than anything has been since. So, uh, I would, I would recommend this issue even if you haven't read the, the previous four. Um, yeah. that's why I wanted to clarify that, uh, who made who. In terms of the molecule, man, because there's something at the end of the decision. Someone's up the ass tonight. That's really cool. Yeah. The, so yeah, so, so pick up Secret Wars number five, uh, for real. The, um. If you're not, why? Why aren't you? And the cool thing about this series, um, one of the cool things about this series, unlike previous Marvel events, you can read Secret Wars and nothing else. That is true because yeah, none of the none of the tie-ins, except for mentioning who their god is and yep. that the Thor cops are flying about, there ain't anything that uh, that has to do with what's going on in, in the Secret Wars proper. No, I think it's the most self-contained Marvel event. I don't want to say ever, but in a long damn time. In a long time, yeah. A, a long time, yeah. But I mean, if you bought everything, you would be in the poorhouse. Although I because wonder if a lot of books. Um, I'm looking at the page for Bar Sinister, and well, first of all, those look like I'm obviously not reading everything mm-hmm. branded with with the Secret Wars logo on it. But um, I'm gonna have to go back to the first issue where we first met the residents of Bar Sinister, because it a it looks like Captain Marvel is is brought before Baron Sinister. Uh, but those look like doom bots that are holding her down. Huh. They don't even look like the doom sentinel from years of future past. They look like straight up Christoph doom bots. Now you're talking siege, right? What book, what book no, are you Secret talking Wars. about? Okay. If when you, after 
after uh, Valeria puts the foundation in their place and says, this is what we're going to do, you show Doomguard, oh. Egyptia, Barsinister, yes. Doomstat. Yeah. Okay, I see it. Right. So I'm, I'm, I must have missed, I, I don't know if Barsinister has the Doombots patrolling his, his land, but maybe they do. I don't know. I, that's why I want to go back to the first issue when the, um, when they brought the Baron over to meet the, uh, the Braddocks, um, and have their little face off. Um, I don't. Just a little bit of an editorial concern. Sorry for interrupting you. They don't need the periods after those locales. No, they don't. That's, that's silly. It's sentence. It's not, it's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, such a grammar Nazi. Oh. <laughs> no, someone will give me a reason for you. Yes, they do. Nah, great issue. I, yes, I'm, I actually have all the uh, tie-ins, but I haven't read them all either. I have, I have a lot of them. But when I, when I get to the, when I look at the checklist, um, I haven't read all of the last days books. Um, like I haven't read Magneto or Loki. I was really impressed with the art on Magneto and I'm actually doing myself a disservice because I can't remember who did it, but I, I kind of liked it. Yeah. Good stuff. The, um, and do you actually pay attention to the titles or, or the subheads when you read these? Like, oh, this is a battle world book or, um, no. wait, this is, this is, no, I don't even look no. at that. Like I, I had no idea that Modoc or Extinction or Spider Island were war zones as opposed to, um, you know, <laughs> Secret Wars Journal or Marvel Zombies or Ghost Racers as battle world. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't even no, matter. No, it doesn't. And then, yeah, and then, pretty- and then Age of Apocalypse, Civil War, and Hail Hydra, Hail Hydra is just not a bad first issue. Our uh, war zones with with an exclamation. Oh no, okay, no, they're also war zones. Just like they just didn't fit all the war zones on one page. My bad. Yeah, they didn't want to shrink the covers down. Yeah, they are pretty small as it is because yeah. you got all this Good. extra space at the top. This huge. We already know we're reading Secret Wars. Why? Why is? Why? Why do we need a header on a double page spread like that? <laughs> I guess we're all doing. Editorializing tonight. Gotta so. keep the branding. That's what branding's for. Yeah. So what else are you reading? Um, you know, that was a t- team up on our part. Now it's just you solo. No. Well, maybe because, um, I did, uh, keeping with the Secret Wars theme for, for a hot minute, I, I read, um, Amazing Spider-Man, Renew Your Vows, numbers two and three. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Settle down, buddy. Uh, the art for the most part is, is pretty solid. Um, it is the, uh, it is the, the, the Kubert brother who is known as Adam and, uh, the, the <laughs> it's a 50-50 shot. It could have been Andy, but it was Adam. Uh, so your penciler is Adam Kubert, of course, written by Dan Slott. I, I say, I shouldn't have to say, of course, because he's not reading every spider Verse man tie in, um, in Secret Wars. But your writer for this, maybe because it's Amazing Spider Man, Renew Your Vows, is Dan Slott, Pencil Adam Kubert. You have three anchors on number three, John Dell, Andrew Hennessy, and Mark Morales. Um, and, uh, I do not know how many anchors on number two. I think it's just John Dell because I spoke to him for a minute. I was with, uh, Mario and I were speaking to, uh, yes, John Dell is the only anchor on issue one and two. Um, but they, they, they called in a crew for the third issue. Uh, 
I was looking at some of the pages that he had for sale and, and we were talking about renew your vows and he was quite pleased that, um, he was, he was doing work on, because he did work also for some convergence tie-ins. So he worked on both big two events of the summer this year. So that was, that's a pretty neat feather. Uh, I was just going to say that it's a nice feather in his little cap. Yep. Uh, but he is, he is a really swell dude. He's just, you know, he's, he's standing there at his table, just shooting the shit. It, it was, um, somebody who I hope I see soon. Um, I don't think I've ever seen him in New York, but I, I would not mind, uh, talking to him again about, uh, because we don't have too many just full blown inkers. Yeah. I mean, there's John Dell, there's Mark Morales, there's Dexter Rines. There aren't, too many. Either most dudes are, are penciling, inking their own pencils, or not having it inked at all. But uh, the um, basically what's going on in this future story, where in this alternate universe, uh, Peter and Mary Jane are married and, and have a daughter, Annie, Annie May, uh, and uh, basically no superheroes, no superheroes because uh, Regent is is the man in charge and he uh he basically owns the police force so you're um if if you are a a powered being uh you get whisked away and and regent has the ability or has the technology to uh absorb heroes everybody's power but he does have uh he has his own um is that forever? Is that momentarily? I, I have a, it's, it's, it's interesting because during, um, during a conversation he has with his doctor, they, uh, she says that when he finds out that Spider-Man still exists, is still alive, um, was in hiding, that's the one hero that that's the one power he's the last piece of the puzzle he says um in this world nothing else matters um because compared to them everything else in here is is a collection of worthless junk and you have wolverine and captain america and hulk and daredevil and wasp and and so many um heroes in in these ruby tubes um but he asks if he'll be able to maintain spider-man's powers and and then she's talking about how oh no they're they're mid level abilities at best so you'll be able to hold on to them um even even when coupled with those of the Hulk Xavier and two dozen other supers your augmented form can handle them without any problem normal human anatomy would burn to a crisp but yours is you know so he's able to I guess his body would burn them off or a normal person if if their if their body is augmented with with another super powered body basically it's peter versus the marvel universe not yet it probably will be because as of the third issue um there's a there is a sinister six after him because region has an army of bad guys and and so he uh he has an elite squad known as the sinister six um which is uh consists of dr octopus and uh mysterio the shocker hobgoblin (laughs) The vulture looking more and more literally like a vulture. Uh, Craven, who's pretty much the best dude of, of the bunch. He's, um, he's pretty much a badass. You see, he's the smartest one on the team, apparently. Spider-Man has, Ooh. has reached his limit. Um, he's like, cause he, he ripped 
Dr. Octopus's arms off and he no longer has, uh, it, it looks like he no longer has arms and legs. He, they're, they're, <laughs> he's got, he, Come on, Bob. he's, uh, he, his, <laughs> his arms have been replaced with more deadly, uh, more extreme versions of his octopus tentacles. So those are two. His legs are equal four and then he's got four other, um, coming out of his back, I guess, from his harness. Wow. So he has been, he's pretty much just a head on a torso. Um, but Spidey was not having it that his family is threatened because, uh, he went into hiding because Annie has some of his powers and they have, they wear inhibitors. So this way their powers won't work and, uh, and they won't be detected. So when Annie breaks hers, Peter has to fix it, so he goes to the, uh, he goes to the, to the tinkerer's joint and, um, and looks for, for spare parts to, to fix things. So, uh, tinkerer hits the switch and the alarm is rung and, and that's when the sinister, well, that's when Dr. Octopus shows up, leaving the uh, rest of the sinister six behind him. Um, it looks like Flint Marco is a double agent. He's, he's working for, um, he's, he's under Regents employee, but, he reports to Shield, and whenever the Shield director is speaking, he is in shadows. Ah, dun dun dun! But he has an iPad, and he has hair, and I'm Could be pretty cable. sure he's white. It's Cable. I think I know who it is. It's not Cable, because <laughs> I don't even think Cable was in those tubes. But I have an idea. I have a hunch on who the Shield director is. You know why Cable wasn't in the tubes? Because he couldn't get him. Because he's too good. He's too good. Uh, does it not surprise you that I have yet to read this? No. Does it surprise it you that I'm reading it? No, because it's slot. But, yeah, but you it's, and I. It's, it's Mary Jane and they're married. I know. Well, <laughs> well not really. Only, <laughs> only, only in an alternate universe you. could she ever get lucky. Um, you and I devour everything. It's true. Peter I think Parker. you just haven't read it yet. There... I haven't read it yet because I'm, I'm afeard. I'm scared. Why? I, I don't, I don't know. There's nothing, there's I don't there's, know. There's nothing to worry about. I read the whole setup and I was like, oh man, even though it's slot, I really don't know if I want to read this because it's like I said, it's MJ. And then, you know, uh, I guess I'll just read it. it. it I, I'm going to read it anyway. It doesn't, but it, it feels like the, so far to me, it, it feels like the least Secret Wars tie in, Secret Wars tie in so far. This, this could have been a, a, an, an M2 miniseries. Oh, that, you just kicked it okay, up. Okay, so I mean, it's, it, there's nothing, it, it's, I, I don't, I'd have to dig. I, I mean, even with Regent in the picture, I don't know how often they've even mentioned Doom in, in this book. I haven't seen a Thor fly around. Um, why doesn't Regent just get close to Doom and then be God? I, I don't know. Can a, I wonder if he can steal a God's power. Was Thor in one of those little tubes? And or a Thor? I saw. I don't think. I'll look. I'll, I'll, I'll double hmm. check. But um, I'm intrigued now. Damn you! All right. No, I, I think they, so. They they uh, in the third issue, they um, when this is why I said Craven seems to be the smartest one in the group because uh, the reason why um, the reason why I say that is is uh, Craven senses is is. His senses are, are enhanced. So, uh, there are traces of sweat filled with fear. He is desperate fighting like a man possessed, most unlike him because he is never afraid for himself. So we know that Spider-Man, he, he was, um, 
he was disguised, but Spider-Man showed up at the school. So therefore, he must be a father looking to protect his child. So when we find the child, we find the man. So Regent sends out a, a public service announcement, takes over all the, the TV airwaves and says that, uh, the, um, the school on Fifth Avenue, everybody must show up, parents and children, for a, a compulsory screening. So everybody's got to go through this gene detector as they enter the school. Um, but Peter and Annie's inhibitors prevent them from being detected. But there is somebody, there's a family after them that sets off all the alarms. And, and so therefore the Sinister Six think that that dude is Spider-Man. Um, and then there's a moment where at first Peter does not want to get involved because he doesn't want to put his family in danger. But Annie and MJ uh, pretty much convince him that, you know, th- this is what you do. And, and, you know, you have this great power. So go take care of business. And um, so he, do what you do. he goes and, and he fights the Sinister Six. And, and he's uh, and he is not he's not taking it easy. Um, he basically webs up. Um, well, all right. The Hobgoblin's about to throw a pumpkin bomb. But Spidey webs the bomb to Hobby's hand and then it blows up. Derp. So, uh, <laughs> so seriously, he is not, he, he's not, he, he's not ready to do any, anybody. Not pulling the punches. No. Yeah. Um, and when you said the Kravenoff, number one, it's, it's not looking good for your team when, when the Kravenoff is the big brain. <laughs> and, and two, the Kravenoff is always afraid of the Parker. He may claim otherwise, but he's always afraid of the Parker. Did have we not read? <laughs> we have. That, well, come on. Yeah, I, I know, I know. Uh, but I think that uh, I mean the next issue, the next issue cover was like, yeah, all right, well that, that that's pretty obvious. But um, I uh, I'm I kind of I, I thought this was a uh, the third issue. I think was probably. Um, the best because it was more action packed because we saw, we saw Spider-Man in action. It wasn't pretty much Peter the family man making sure nothing harms his family. This was Spider-Man kind of, uh, you know, doing what he does and swinging around and, and, and stopping shit from happening. So the third issue I think was the best. The person who I think is the shield director, I really, really think it's Richard Parker. Hmm. Nice little twist. Well, the- what makes you, what makes you think that? Because Richard Parker was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. He, um, when Agent Bobby Morse is, is talking to him, um, he, uh, let's see, um. I like her, but she keeps repeating everything other characters say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see, um, Mockingbird says that's it, we should move on, we, we should move on this, it's our chance to enlist Spider-Man. So this guy says we're trapped, Bobby. You, Prowler, and Dagger spent the better half of the night evading Regent's guards and extracting this power kids who were only on the run because Spidey brought them time, bought them time to, um, she, she, she's basically telling this dude we could use him. And he's like, I, I know, I'll see what we can do. So it, it's almost like he's trying to not get Spider-Man involved. Ah. And there's also, I mean, when you do see a close up, even though it's in shadows, the profile kind of looks a little bit like Peter. Mm-hmm. You didn't say Prowler was in it. That's another tick off. 
Loves me some Prowler. Uh, yeah, he is in it. The, um, was that the only, I think that's the only page we saw of, um, of the show director this time. But yeah, um, so that, that, that would be pretty neat. Yeah, it would. I'm going to read this for next week. I'm, I won't, um, you know, go along on it just to confirm what you're telling me. And I bet you everything you're telling me is, is right. That's good. It, 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 yeah, I, I, um, you know, I, it's like, like I've said on online and everywhere else, and 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 Jonah is in it, and and Peter selling photos, but uh, the um, there's let's see, uh, oh, D Man's in it. Oh, I don't great. know if that brings it back down, but it uh, maybe no, like what I, happens to him. Uh, no, D Man's pretty cool. He says uh, the the, the shield show. director says he's uh, thick as a post, broad as a barn, and ain't even as strong as a tenth of the Hulk. So. Who, D-Man, you mean? Yeah, that's what this dude's saying. It's all Um, true. But you love him just the same. (laughs) Yes, yes, you do. And he he stole somebody very important's costume. Back in the day, anyway. Back in the day. Um, How lame was that? (laughs) This Wolverine character is really popular. Let's put another guy in a costume just Just like like his. It'll it'll be great. Uh, So, yeah. So, so Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. I know that... uh, Pretty much people who, who miss the married Spider-Man are digging it. People who love their Mary Jane. I mean, I'm talking about the character. Uh, I, I'm sure are digging it. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad it exists so that people can enjoy these characters, how, how they, they'd like them to be seen. But, um, I'm glad it exists because it's, it's an alternate take, but the, uh, it's, it's pretty much the most spider Manish book that we're getting right now during Secret Wars. Good. Because Spider Island wasn't too spider-ish for me. No, it was a lot more, um, uh, werewolfy and, and almost van- It was like Twilight. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but. I like the Rainbow that You, you, you put that spider. Yeah, they're great. Um, I, I loved it because those characters, Bronze Age characters, I adore, but yeah. It's not. It needs a Peter. Doesn't everything. I got something. What you got? I had originally planned, uh, if you listened to our previous episode, Jason and I pretty much made a pact at the end of the episode to read Fables Volume 22, a.k.a. Fables 150. Um, but I had an inkling based on what the way he was talking earlier in the week that he wasn't going to be here. So I did not read Fables 150. Instead... It's not a, it may be a coincidence. Everything about which I will talk about this episode is an anthology. Go figure. The first of which comes from the great people at IDW in uh, tandem with Crazy Craig Yo. This is Weird Love number eight. Now, um, I'll be flat out honest with everyone i love this book yes it has love in the title but it is weird and and what it is is it's a collection of golden and um i think i talked about it before golden and 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 silver age reprints of um crazy stories that have some kind of relationship hook at its at its core and i'll tell you a lot of these stories would never ever not in a million years fly in these um 
disgusting, politically correct times. The Get this. The, this is the most egregious example of where these stories go. Uh, this, this little ditty is called A Diet of Romance. And it was from My Romantic Adventures, August 1963. Uh, this was a book originally published by AGC, or sorry, ACG. And uh, the art here is by Gerald McCann. The splash page, and I'll tell you about it after I give you the hook. The splash page is a scream. Um, the, the protagonist's name is Martha Hess, and she's a bit thick. She's even chunky. Um, to be unpolitically correct, the woman is fat. And uh, unfortunately for Martha, her best friend, Evelyn, is a complete looker. She is the embodiment of the uh, era's female form. The 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 uh, for what everyone in the '60s thought was the embodiment of of beauty. This Evelyn is. She's slender. She's statuesque. Kind of think Natalie Wood, but a little taller. Mm. And she's also a bit more than a, a catty bitch. What this Evelyn does is she uses Martha, who is chunky. Remember. To make herself look even better to the opposite sex, they they go on trips together, yep. and um, yep, yep, yep. They're no seriously, they're at the beach, and uh, they'll be walking together, and they have like foregrounds. It's, it's like when you and I are walking around, all eyes on you, bro. Get out of here! The, the the guys are like, wow, check out that woman. She looks like she's beautiful. And another guy said, well, yeah, but she looks like Miss America compared to that girl next to her. Like they really push home the fact that Evelyn uses Martha for her own goals other than, you know, just, just friendship. Um, Sounds like a Lois Lane story. Yeah, really. The twist comes when uh, a noted artist by the name of Foster Jennings comes to town and the Chamber of Commerce, as they are wont to do, throws a reception for Mr. Foster. He shows absolutely no interest in Evelyn. None. They're talking. He's like, yes, yes, whatever, whatever. Um, so what Evelyn does is what she's been, what she's trained herself to do. She throws Martha in his path thinking, all right, he'll see this portly woman and he'll realize just how gorgeous I am. But her plan backfires. <laughs> Foster is completely enamored with Martha. He's like, you could tell he's like, oh my goodness, I am so glad to meet you. And she's like, what? Seriously? And, and her and Evelyn are talking and she's like, I think he really was genuinely pleased to meet me. And Evelyn's like, sweetheart, please. He's just being polite. So, so Martha goes home and wouldn't you know it? Foster calls her and he wants to paint how he got her number. I don't know. <laughs> And and he wants to paint her. And she's like overjoyed. This woman who has really low self-esteem to begin with is being painted by this famous artist. And she's over the moon, right? And Evelyn's like, oh, it, it, he's probably sorry. He feels sorry for you. It's just his way of being polite. Don't worry about it. So Eve, uh, Martha gets all bent out of shape. She actually believes the the drivel that, that Evelyn is, is puking her way. And she goes back to Foster. She says, I don't think I'm going to sit for you anymore. I'm, why would you pretend to like me? And he's, he's like, what are you nuts? I think you're, you're, you're beautiful. I, I really want to paint you. And he ends up kissing her and she's like, Oh my God. So what does she do? (laughs) She runs back 
to Evelyn and tells her all about it. And she's like, honey, you're being ridiculous. He's got a sense of humor. This is all a joke. And of course, Martha believes her and is down on herself. And what she does is she does not go back to Foster. What she does, she goes on this crash diet where she's trying, you know, the jiggle machine that you always see where they put the belt on and it like jiggles all your fat around, it's supposed to be burning up fat cells. And she's doing the, the, the sauna things like the, uh, she loses a ton of weight, but on the flip side, Foster was so despondent when she left that he just went on an eating binge and got all porked out and they ran into each other. And he's like, oh, my God, you're all skinny. You're disgusting. And she's like, ooh, you're all fat. I can't stand looking at you. And I, I won't tell you where the story goes. But this is amazing. The, the, they don't do comics like this today. The, the splash page or the, the splash panel, right now it says, a diet of romance. And it's the scales of justice. <laughs> <laughs> and And... Martha's in one side and she's weighing that sucker down and Foster's in the other side looking down at her and there's a Cupid in the middle. He's holding his head like, oh my God. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> no, dude, this is, <laughs> and the pan, I tell you, the panel count is really high in these, these old stories. It's like maybe eight to 10 per page. I mean, you get a lot of story. This story is basically one, two, three, four, five, six. It's uh eight eight pages, nine pages, but I feel like I've read an entire issue when I read these things, and it's only one of maybe five, six stories. This issue, uh, and I said uh, issue number eight, also has a story called Savage Love. Ooh, it's a jungle story. Who doesn't love jungle stories? I don't know anybody. <laughs> um, the uh, it's from First Love Illustrated which was um, actually issue 19 of First Love Illustrated, which was published by Harvey yay, in 1952, and it was drawn, are you sitting down? I am. By Bob Powell. The great Bob wow. Powell. Yeah, it's this thing. I mean, when someone says Bob Powell, I immediately associate him with horror because he was awesome at it, but he also did some, some love stories too. Um. The gist of this story is we have a stinking rich uh, globetrotter, uh, an explorer, who just so happens to have not only a daughter named Janet, but uh, an understudy whose name is Jack Farlow. So they take a, a trip to, to uh, Africa. Janet has to come because she's a little busybody, can't leave her boyfriend alone for two seconds. And the boyfriend, of course, is, is Jack Farlow. He just doesn't know it yet. She's head over heels in love with this dude. Um, he's just focused on the mission. He's very, uh, he's got the laser beam focus. He wants to research and explore and do right by her father. And on the way there, they're in the airplane. She's like, oh, I love you. And he's like, Wait, what? You know, the guy didn't have a clue. But he returns her affections. You know, I don't know if he felt pressured, whatever. He's like, you have so much money. I have nothing, whatever. Um, so when, when they get there, they, of course they hire, as every jungle comic and movie you've ever seen, they need a guide to get through the jungle, correct? I mean, these people don't know what's going right. on. So they hire a guide and almost literally, Shauna the She-Devil walks out of the, out of the, the jungle and Janet is not having it. She's like, that's our guide. 
Are you kidding me? Because um, Jack looks at her and he's like, ooh, she's beautiful. Like, dummy, you don't say it out loud. Even if you think it, you do not say it, especially in front of your girlfriend. What is wrong with you? Um, as you can imagine, Janet doesn't like it and she wants uh, this guide who they nicknamed Goldie. Goldie does not understand a lick of English because she's from the jungle, right? So why would she understand English? And uh, Janet keeps trying to get rid of her. And uh, the, the poop hits the oscillator when Goldie is caught sneaking into Jack's tent in the middle of the night. And Janet's like, WTF, what is going on here? Why is this jungle hussy sneaking in my man's tent at night? And she throws a hissy fit and they send Goldie on her way. But it turns out the natives didn't really like the fact that there was a woman in the jungle. And that woman, of course, is Janet. So they were going to do something really not good to our expedition troop. And Goldie was trying to head it off at the pass. And Janet, of course, doesn't believe it. She thinks Goldie's in for it, you know, just to get her man and uh, just creates trouble. But it works against her because she's a, an uppity B-word and, and really just not doesn't listen to reason and only wants what she wants. This is one of the few stories, love stories, that does not end happily, at least for Janet or the, the female protagonist in this story. Turns out that Goldie, I'm going to spill it because this is cool. Turns out that Goldie was not native to the jungle at all. She speaks English and, and she is from the city and she actually wanted to bring Janet down once she heard all the crap she was spewing. She's like, yeah, you know, I was okay with it at first, but now knowing what I know about her, I'm out for blood. And so in the end of the story, she steals her man. The last panel is a riot. Um, Jack and Goldie are in the, the background kissing and Janet's all weepy and shit and she's on her father. She's like, oh, daddy, like this is the, the ending I want to see. Scratch. <laughs> Uh, these are worth, you know, I, I've probably said it before, but it bears repeating that these Craig Yo IDW books are a tremendous value for your dollar. $3.99 on toothy, really nice white paper. Um, it's about a 60, 80 pound paper around there. I would say in between there takes the color really nicely. Um, and the page count is higher because and I don't um, know what the royalty payments are, and I'm not going to hazard to guess because that's not my deal. Um, these are um, purportedly public domain stories, so Yo can just go scoop okay. and give you more page count because I, if they are paying people for these things, I don't think it's a hell of a lot. So you get high page count, clay-coated, thick covers, beautiful white paper, and the cover price the same as what you would pay for a 20-page Marvel comic. $3.99. You can't beat it. No, can't beat it at all. Sounds like um, what New England Comics, the, the publishers of The Tick, did back in the day when Tick was just starting. They, they took old um, public domain war and and uh, crime stories, same thing that you usually would see in, in an EC book. Whether it's the crime stories, the the... Basically, like I said, the war stories and, and, uh, scour any old books for yeah. them like, like, like Yo seems to be doing and, and would just republish them. And, 
But in 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 Yo's favor, the technology has increased yes a, a thousandfold since those days, where they were just I think shooting stats pretty much yeah yeah they from, were staying with Xeroxes yeah from the original comics at least Yo has the benefit of modern scanning technology like all of these are scanned I'm pretty sure that they don't have all of the original art so you know some of these pages are scanned from the original comics and you know what happens when you do that you get a little bit of more ray pattern here and there you get ghost images you get non-uniform color spreads i mean that's the price you pay the original art for these things god knows where it is did i lose you david nope okay uh there's another story in here i won't go too deep into this but it's called men were my business oh shoot uh from uh flaming love april 1950 published by quality and the artist on this which kills me is unknown See, back in the days when they did not do credit boxes or at least attribute somewhere in the work to the, the creative team, it's a lot easier to nail down the artists in question than it is the writers. Like all of these uh, stories, if they do not know the name of the artist, they'll say they'll list it as artist unknown, but none of them are attributed to any writers at all. We don't know who wrote these things. Because visually, if if you're looking at a Ross Andrew panel, you know it's a Ross Andrew panel. Yeah. Like sty- stylistically, your eyes are telling you that's a Ross Andrew jaw, or that's a you know a Ross Andrew uh, jacket. Like the way he does folds, it's very, very attributable to, to Ross Andrew when you see it. Writing, anybody could have written these things. I mean, you can go back and see who was working at certain studios at what time, but I think it'd be really tough to try and find actually who wrote these. So that I don't think they even bother to do that, which is not um, a, a, a dig against Craig Yo or IDW. It's actually a dig against the original publishers. They just didn't list credits. The creative teams didn't really matter back then, which is unfortunate, but we know better now. So um, Men Were My Business is about a woman named Sheila Scott, who just happens to run a male escort service. And she's all business, shuns men, doesn't want anything to do with them until Tom Weatherby shows up. And she's just like, whew, what is with this guy? He is nuts. He rubs her the wrong way initially, but then she kind of warms up to him. And so, all right, I'll use it as a male escort. And she employs the guy. And she sees that this one woman, Senora Del Rio, keeps requesting Tom's services. First, it was like, you know, infrequently. And then it turned into like every night. So she's like, what the hell is this? Why does this woman want my Tom? Well, they do eventually become romantically involved. And uh, why does this woman want my Tom every night? I This is, I don't want him now. I'm going to go put my foot down. And she goes to confront the woman who uh, apparently enjoys Tom's company so much. And uh, our good Sheila has to eat a little bit of crow. I won't say how, but read it. I have saved the very best for last. <laughs> it's a story called The Love She Didn't Want. Oh, jeez. Yes. Uh, from August 1952. Uh, Realistic Romances Number 7, published by Avon. Artist unknown. Again, uh, it's killing me. But uh, the the crux of this little biscuit is clown love. 
What? <laughs> Clown love. Oh, good Lord. We got Nola. Nola is a high wire performer in the Mac Jones circus. She's really good. Unfortunately, even though she's exceptionally talented, she's not the show's star performer. She wows the crowd. Crowds go nuts whenever she performs. She's doing cartwheels on the high wire and doing all this stuff and really, you know, putting on a show. People go crazy. But I don't know if it's the fact that she's a woman and this was, you know, published in the 50s, uh, but she's not the star performer. That distinction belongs to Alfredo Costanza. Oh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) With, With whom Nora is secretly in love. And Alf unfortunately is a bit of a douche he he confronts her and he's like why are you stealing my thunder i am the star performer not you and he pushes her and she trips over a a tent spike her head is spinning she's on the ground down comes a hand to lift her up embraces her and the owner of the hand kisses her but it's not alf oh shoot it's one frank kinney who also works at the circus. Uh, Nola throws a fit, and Frank is evicted from the circus. Mac Jones comes over. He's like, I'm not having this. You're, you are gone, buddy. And and Frank is out. And Nola eventually gets down with Alfredo, and, you know, they kiss, and they, they have a little bit of a, a thing going on. But Alfredo, unfortunately, is not honest. He he's only in it to get her to dumb down her act. Like, you care for me, right? Well, then do not steal my thunder. And I don't know if he's French. He's probably not. And he I, is now. <laughs> he is now. So she starts doing really boring, mediocre performances. And the crowd's like, they politely clap. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And Alf goes out and he wows him because he doesn't really have any competition. But, you know, eventually she leaves the Mac Jones circus and goes to another um, traveling circus. And she gets into this act with a clown. And it is the most aesthetically unpleasing clown ever. His, his facial makeup is green. His entire face is green and his mouth is white, red nose. He wears a red hat and a green cost like this is this does not say clown to me. This says dude who just got a good deal on green face paint and you know just bought up everything the store well, everything the store had. I never do that. But the 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 act is a clown high wire duo. It's like what's going on here? While she's up on the high wire and she's doing her little thing, the clown is down below like falling over himself and pretending to do the same thing and can't really do it. And, you know, it's kind of a hit until she tries to wow the uh, the show owner by doing a triple somersault, something she's never done before. And, uh-oh, Nola falls. And who's there to catch her? Uh, yeah. The clown. No, he couldn't be bothered, David. The the clown's name is is Bix Bixby, Bix Bixby Where do you the clown. How am I supposed to guess somebody you're just introducing? No, no, no. But that's not his real name. Do you know what his real name is? Danny. Frank. Frank followed her from the other show and wanted. He loved her so much. He wanted to keep tabs on her, and he followed her. And even though 
he broke all the bones in his body catching her and is in a hospital bed with bandages up to his neck. She she loves him. She loves him and he's an engineer or something. He's he's got a job somewhere and they are kissing face and it is clown period love period. Where else are you gonna get clown love? Only in weird love. I I I I could take another hour to tell you how much these Craig Yo reprints mean to me, but I don't think I would do my feelings justice. I love these books. If I had, if some unfortunate circumstance like being unemployed happened to impact me and I had to whittle my pull list down to a fraction of what it once was, I would really start selling plasma before I dumped my Craig Yo IDW books. I love these. So much so, I'm going to talk about another one in a little while. Is that right? So, so there, and that was weird. Love number eight. Wow. Well, don't don't leave them hanging. Talk about oh, something. Oh man, how am I supposed to top that? You could top that. I, all I did was have fun with the book. Oh man. And the art is spectacular in every story. It's it's old timey, and extremely realistic. It's all rooted in in realism, as was the 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 standard for the time. You're not going to see any kind of experimental stuff going on here. It's pretty much, it's just great illustration. I mean, these guys were well-schooled in, in how to draw a character from every angle. And once they got a lockdown on what that, the way they wanted that character to look, they represented that character in each and every panel. That's these guys were damn professionals. I like that. I like they that. Didn't, they did not have the benefit mm. of the internet where they could just Google uh, a certain pose or, you know, the money wasn't great, so they couldn't pay anybody to come in and, and, you know, model for them. This is all from muscle and, and experience, muscle memory and experience. Yeah. These guys are amazing. That's so cool. It is cool. You'll hear more cool soon. But, after I hear some cool from you. Um, I think we mentioned this a while ago. I don't know if we both finished it. I just finished it. I don't know if you finished, uh, Django Zorro. I did finish it. Okay. It was amazing. So yeah, so I had issues five, six, and seven to read. And it was. It, it, it was amazing. It, I loved the, uh, the page or two, or maybe four pages where we got to see Doc Schultz again. Uh, yes. because Django had to, to learn a lesson. Uh, but it was, um, it really, I think it stuck the landing. It, 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 it ramped up to, uh, the confrontation that was meant to happen. Uh, Django had to, um, there was a little bit of, uh, doppelganging because Django had to present himself as Zorro, uh, for a brief moment. And, and I thought that worked rather well. Oh, and, he, and, and, and he pulled yeah, it off. He did. Yeah. Um, Don Diego has a, uh, really knows how to play up the whole, uh, I'm, I'm frail and dainty and, and I'm old and, uh, yeah. I've, been, I've been shot and I can't, you know, I mean, it's, you, you know, you think about Christopher Reeve as a Superman and, and slouching a little bit and stammering and, and, you know, not, not looking like Superman until he takes the glasses off, stands up straight, broad shoulders and, 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 uh, that, that comes to mind. But I, you know, you, you watch actors like Jack Nicholson and, and it's just, Amazing seeing someone, uh, 
transformed that way. And, and you don't, you wouldn't think, I mean, and, and even to the end of the issue, towards the end of the, of, of, of the series, the, uh. Well, the misdirection is, is one of his biggest weapons. Yes. Yeah. And, and even the Archduke was like, oh, I'm going to take this old man down a peg in, in, in my sword fighting and there's no way. And, and when he, when Diego, uh, unsheaths his sword and, and it just, He's taken aback. He doesn't know how to react to it. He's like, what? But it, it just, it really, uh, the love triangle came to its apparent, well, obvious conclusion. It just, it. Yeah, I, I was really surprised the way that panned out. Extremely surprised. I almost felt a little quick, but I mean, in, in the moment, it, it really is. And when you think about the, uh, when you think about it, like Django Unchained and, and how the last 10, 15 minutes kind of, uh, went by quickly and the, the action escalated and, and, and we got to our conclusion. It, it was fitting in, in that regard. It, it felt like that. It, it, it felt like a Tarantino story to me then. I mean, yeah. once, once you get, once you get well, to the last few minutes, right. Once you get to the last yeah. few minutes of, of the movie, that, that's when things really start getting a little, uh, little, Rushneck and, and it just, it, uh, it ended as, it was a, there was, there was an unfortunate loss. Mm, uh, I know. Which, which just shows you that this is a story that's pretty much towards the end of Don Diego and, and Zorro's run. Um, cause I'm not so well versed in Zorro. I, I don't know how many years he was without. Yeah. So, uh. Oh, I don't want to say. I know. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a, uh, I, I thought it was, it was a great, it was a great seven issues. If, if you, uh, if you're a fan of, of the Django Unchained movie, if, uh, if you're a Zorro fan, I, I think you'll, uh. Who's not? Right. Oh, Jason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, because it, it, like you said, you, you, you nailed it down exactly. It was incredibly true to the character because you, the creative team, you had two men with great experience in both of these characters. It's true. It's very true. Um, who would you rather have writing a Django story, that, well, this incarnation of Django, than the man that created him for his movie? You're right. Quentin Tarantino. Yep. And Matt Wagner is well-versed in Zorro. Yeah. Like, come on. This is a no-brainer. Um, I didn't even balk at the increased cover price for the last issue i was like yeah whatever i'm buying it yeah because i mean it was more pages they had to wrap up yeah you know a, a good chunk of story and uh i think it was what um 5.99 was it the last issue it was it was more than 3.99 i know that like m- significantly more but it was worth it it's really and the art is a couple of ticks above the standard well more than a couple the standard uh, dynamite fare. I thought it was great, really nice. Agreed, agreed. No, yeah. it, it, it definitely. Yeah. Uh, it started off well, and and it it kept going right on through. I didn't know it was seven issues initially, so I I was just enjoying it, and everything was working well enough. Uh, you know, I I didn't think it would be an ongoing, but I didn't know. Um, I wish. Yeah, I yeah I, I didn't know how far we were going, but it was a. Uh, it, it's it's a solid solid story. I, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, another um, I, a dynamite book I would wholeheartedly recommend is uh, Justice Incorporated, The Avenger. 
Oh, really? Yes. Extremely good. Yep, yep. They, uh, Jason's not here to scoff at me, so I can say this free and clear. Dynamite does good by the pulp characters. They, they always have. Yeah, go along. Good stuff. Have you, speaking of Quentin Tarantino, have you seen the trailer for The Hateful Eight? I did this morning. Oh my god! It looks so good. You know you're in for another three hour ordeal. When you got a cast of characters that big, he's, he's got you for a good three hours. Yeah. I cannot wait. Samuel Jackson's lines are incredible. <laughs> Not a warning. A, a bullet. bullet. <laughs> it's uh and I, I, I'm a Kurt Russell fan. Oh yeah. So that that was great. And and it's it's Quentin Tarantino, so you know you have his cast of regulars. Yep. That's okay. Yeah. That's fine. I just wonder, back to Django Zorro, he had Brunhilde by that time. Yeah. Why would he leave her? Just to make money? I, I, he mentions it. I think he mentions it early on when he's, when he's yeah. picked up by Zoro, why he, he, um. I don't remember, but I'm thinking, I, I, now that you said that, I think he does mention why he, he left. Maybe she's pregnant. Who knows? Why would he leave then? I don't know. Maybe he needed the money. Easy money. Not so easy in this case. Well, he, I mean, he did what he was supposed to do in the beginning. He got his bounty, but then when he was hired as a bodyguard, that's when, uh, so that he probably was planning on heading back. And thank you, Quentin and Mr. Wagner for giving the D-bag yes. finger breaker just what he deserved. Yeah. Especially with the, oh yeah, you can't fight me one on one. You need a gun, you coward. And he's like, oh yeah, just like you were about to do to me with your big fucking hammer. And then of course you had the one dude. Who, who called them Django? And then he had to mark them with, good with, with the J. So it was, um, it was, it, 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 it was good. It was good. Not a lot of laugh out loud moments, but it was, uh, oh, it, 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 it hammered it home. And the narrative is pretty damn dense. Like initially, all the steps that the, um, the father goes through to, oh, to create yeah, yeah. the false identity for the, the adopted daughter and the fake That's documents. Right. And I mean, this guy has resilience. I mean, he goes into um, a monastery for years just to gain their trust to get into the room where he can forge documents in, in, in the books where, you know, documents are recorded, the actual. So it's not like there's computers where he could just like hack into the system. Uh, in 10 minutes, he does years of menial labor and feigns piety just to get into this cloister where he can, you know, forge the documents. I mean, the guy wants it, uh, the Duke of Arizona. And, um, no, it's, it's a testament to the, the character. Like he's not playing around. He, he wants what he wants yeah. and, uh, extremely, uh, tenacious foe, but Django and, uh, Zorro are pretty much up to the task. Good stuff. Really good stuff. And what I was going to say is uh amazing covers by Frank Avilla. I tried to get all his covers, but I think maybe one or two. I think I got a, a Dennis Cowan. Did he uh, cover maybe? But that's, I mean, that's not anything to, you know, scoff at Dennis Cowan. But uh, I wanted to get all the Frank Avilla covers. And I don't think I accomplished that. So. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Well, so Here's I'm going to look forward in uh, New York. Yeah. Well, I don't buy multiple covers. Uh, what I, I, I'm happy with, I got. 
Here's an idea, Mr. Francovia. Why don't you stop doing Django Zorro covers and focus on Afterlife with Archie? Because we want more of it <laughs> at a faster pace. I love that book. <laughs> yeah. uh, All right. You want to hear about the other IDW yes, book? Yes, indeedy. Talk about here. This, no surprise. It's the companion um, bi-monthly to uh, Weird Love. It's Haunted Horror which is now on its, uh, well, this is issue 17. Chances are real good. Issue 18 is coming out real soon because I don't talk about these things until I get my box. So I'm a month behind. It's uh, part of Mr. Yo's chilling archives of horror comics, which is spectacular. If, if you don't buy the bi-monthly haunted horror or weird love, do yourself a huge favor and get in on the hardcover volumes because they are amazing. Uh, but anyway, this is Haunted Horror number 17. The, uh, the main story I want to talk about. I'm giggling because it's so silly. Uh, it's actually the lead off to this issue. It's called Escape to Death. As if they, you know, just spoil the, the, the punchline right in the title. Um, it was published in Dark Mysteries number 14, October 1953, published by Master Comics. And the artist in question here is John D'Agostino. And he's pretty amazing. This is, this is in line with, um, the EC stuff. It's not quite Graham Engels. It's not that goopy and, and, and drippy and disgusting, but it's in the Engels ballpark. So that's pretty vague, but just take my word for it. Okay. Okay, you will. You always do anyway. The gist of this thing is Tad. Tad is pretty shifty. He's a crook. He's a criminal. But he got caught. So he's in the slammer for robbery. But Tad isn't a lunkhead. What he did was he hid his money or the the money that he stole from the bank. He hid it in various and sundry, as Jason would say, places. So he's in the pokey. And he's got a girl outside. And her name is Honey Carol. Now, Tad, again, no fool. He works in the prison morgue, nailing coffin lids shut. That's his job. He nails coffin lids shut. Okay. I don't know. Do they actually hire people for that? I, I, I don't know. I guess in a prison you do what you're told to do. But he got on some kind of list. Or he cozied up to somebody. And now he's the dude that nails the coffin lids shut. But he's not alone. He shares duties with his pal Gimpy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Gimpy. Gimpy is a deaf mute. How did he get deaf? Tad did it. Gimpy, as it turns out, was one of uh, the same guys in Tad's gang. And one day, Gimpy must have pissed off Tad because he boxed his ears. You remember how they used to... People used to box each other's ears. They, they, you'd slap them on both sides of the head. But when Tad did it, I guess he put a little bit too much elbow grease into it, and Gimpy became deaf. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's pretty nasty, right? Yeah. So Gimpy can't hear, works with Tad in the mortuary, but uh, Honey, she can't get enough money, and I'm rapping. She needs <laughs> a lot of the green stuff. She comes to, to Tad on visiting days and she's like, honey, I need more money. And he tells her, all right, go to my mom's house and, you know, trim the lilac bush. 
And she knows that's like the code. There's some money somewhere near the lilac bush, okay? So one night, Tad is watching this boxing match on TV, and he looks in the crowd, and who does he see but Honey cozying up next to his arch rival in the real world. And he gets pissed off, wouldn't you? Right? You're in jail. What the hell are you going to do? You you can't go bring this woman to to whatever task for, for cheating on you. You're stuck in the pokey. But, like I said, Tad's pretty smart. He has a plan. After a pair of executions, Tad uses a coffin with a false bottom to hide in. Here's the deal. I'm put myself in this coffin, Gimpy, and when I'm when we're out of the prison, you're gonna let me out because, and you gotta do this because one of these coffins is gonna be buried, the other one is gonna be incinerated. So I'm gonna put myself in the one that's gonna be buried, okay? And you're gonna let me out. Gimpy's like, whatever, because he doesn't he understands, but only to a certain point. So what Tad, what they do is they label the coffins. They put one guy's name on the one going into the ground and another guy's name on the one going into the incinerator. And you see where this is going, right? Oh, yes. On the way out of the prison, one of the guards knocks a tag off, both tags off, and the tags get switched. And the guard realizes, surprisingly, that he does it. And he tells Gimpy, yo, dude, I switched the tags. Uh, I didn't mean it, but the tags got switched, switching back. Gimpy, Gimpy's deaf. Gimpy can't hear. What happens? Good old Tad gets burned alive. Uh huh. Why? Not because he was a criminal, but because he was a douchebag and boxed old Gimpy's ears. See what happens? Your actions have repercussions. If he didn't box Gimpy's ears, he probably would still be alive. Well, not today. But he would have gotten <laughs> At out. At the end of the story. You're so dumb, Tad. Uh, but the main story I want to talk about in this thing, oh my goodness, this thing is absolutely incredible. Called Television Ghost. From Mr. Mystery Number 1, September 1951, published by Stanley Morse, art by Charles Stern. Atypical, even for haunted horror. This story, if I told you that Harvey Kurtzman on a not-so-great day drew this thing, you'd be like, okay, I can see it. This is a Kurtzman-esque horror story. You have, it's, it's, it's comedic. It's, so it's, it's like a black, black humor. But the protagonist, whose name is Henry Meeks, he looks like Robert Crumb. He seriously looks like Robert Crumb. He's all skinny. He's got the glasses. You never see his eyes. Got the hat on. Uh, dresses very nicely for the time. But there are panels in this thing that have the character rendered in that Kurtzman-esque, real thick brushstrokes with the, you know, um, very, uh, on both sides of the coin, he worked very illustrative, but Kurtzman, Kurtzman was also a designer, a really good designer too. So, well, one of the best, right? The, the, there, there will be, there are many instances in this story where the, there will be a character overlaid on a blank background, just a color. And it works so freaking well. It's, it's so nice. There's silhouette, but a reverse silhouette 
where the backgrounds are black and the foreground characters are white. You almost never see that, right? There's panels that are completely blank, save for a sound effect and a color. This is, like I said, extremely atypical for this kind of, for like the horror stuff. They didn't go in this direction. Yeah, Kurtzman was doing it up good in Mad Magazine around this time with this stuff, but maybe um, Charles Stern either saw Kurtzman's work and was like enamored with it, or maybe he knew him or worked with him. I don't know the case, but I have to research this. This story's amazing. Really good. Um, uh, it's a typical, you know, with the the uh, O. Henry-esque ending. Henry Meeks is henpecked. His wife is nasty. She's extremely large, looks like a man, and all she cares about, she wears like this burlap muumuu. I mean, fashion, not a concern. The only thing she wants is to watch her programs. You will not interrupt me when I'm watching my programs, Henry Meeks. And if something goes wrong with when my programs are on, you're going to pay for it. Uh-oh, something's going on. My my broadcast is being interrupted. Go up on the roof and adjust the aerial. Remember when we oh, had aerial? Oh, yes. So Henry's got to go up there and adjust the aerial. And he's like sick of it. He's like, this woman is driving me crazy. I can't stand it. I'm at the end of my rope. What am I going to do? So he devises a plan where he's going to kill her. That seems reasonable, right? He's going to kill her and bury her in the basement. And he digs this gigantic hole in the basement because the woman, like I said, is very large. But while he's digging the hole, she kills him first. She hits him on the head with a hammer. Henry Meek, or baseball bat. Henry Meeks is dead. And that's the, the panel with the, just the sound effects, uh, sound effect on, overlaid on a red background. It's extremely effective. It just says kapow on a red background. Simple, but it works. It works really well. That's awesome. Sorry, I had to get a drink. That's right. And um, and on in the next panel, after Henry's dead, he rises from the grave, and you see his body, Kurtzman-esque, shaped like the letter L. He's dead, but his legs are sticking straight up, <laughs> and he's laughing, and like it's almost Joker-esque. Like there's ha ha sound effects in the background and overlaid on him. It, it's, I'm telling you, this story is amazing. So Henry says, all right, I'm dead. What can she do to me now? I'm free. So he makes her life a living hell. He stands in front of the TV. When she's watching it, disrupts the broadcast. He puts water. I don't know how he would do it as a ghost, but he puts water in her hat and she gets drenched. He pulls the rug out from under her, literally, and she trips and falls. And like, then there's a problem with the aerial, as you know, we always had problem with the aerial. So, so she goes up on the roof to fix the aerial, and he somehow manifests, physically manifests himself to at least to the point where she can see him, and. She gets all scared, as you, as anyone would, right? Oh my God, it's a ghost of my husband, Eek. And she freaks out and falls off the roof and dies. Oh shit. But apparently, they have TV in hell. <sighs> Dumbass Henry 
spends eternity in hell with his wife, again, doing what he's always done. Fix the aerial, make her broadcast. They have TV in hell, Dave. Who would have thunk it? But if you were, you know, if you're a horror fan, great. Pick up Haunted Horror. But if you're a fan of really great comics, and who's not who listens to this thing, just for the sake of Television Ghost, search down a copy of Haunted Horror number 17. It is absolutely amazing. Flat out, jaw-dropping, just gotta have this story. Seriously. Really good stuff. Haunted Horror number 17. Oh, man. I'm all about the reprints tonight. Well, not all about the reprints. Because I got one which, judging by the clock on the wall, I'm going to have to save for my In Your Travels. But it is an anthology that is not a reprint. Well, not completely a reprint. Am I vague enough? <laughs> I think so. You have anything else? Before? Uh, let's see. Um, you, know, you mentioned Dennis Cohen and his cover for um, Django Zaro. I'm thinking it was Dennis, right? I know Dennis did the uh, Shaft covers, Ink by Sienkiewicz. I, I, um, That's what I might be thinking of. No, I'm pretty no, sure. I, yeah, yeah. Because I know, I know Jay Lee did some, Wagner did some, and, um, and of course Frank Avia, but, uh. Wasn't crazy about the Jay Lee. No, ones. me neither. I think I got one. Um, put some powder on it. The, uh. Not, not butthurt. Jay Lee's not, not bad. Not, I mean, he's, you know. No slouch. No. Uh, but, um, the new Justin Jordan written comic book, John Flood, is, uh, illustrated by Jorge C-O-E-L-H-O. Cohelo. Cohelo. That's what I was thinking. Uh, colors by Tamara Bonvien and, uh, letters by Ed Dubshire, who's the name that, uh, I see, I've known for years, but, uh, the art is a little... Is this this number one? Oh, cool. Uh, the art is a little, um, Dennis Cowany, it's a little Ed McGuinness-y. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a neat mix because it's, it's not, um, it's not, I'm not gonna, I'm, because, Ed draws the broad shoulders, the, the, the wide muscles. They don't look puffy like, uh, a quietly character, but you know what a McGinnis character looks like. But this also has the added, um, scratchiness of a Dennis Cohen. So it, it's, it's a neat mix. I, I, yeah. I really like the art. I, I am impressed with the art. Um, because the faces don't really look like McGinnis. It's just that the characters are, are kind of wide like that. Um, and there, there's, there's a few other, um, there's, there's maybe a little bit of, of Mark Bright, who I, I tend to look for in a lot of artists. So that could also just be me, but, uh, the story kicks off with John Flood in, in an interrogation cell. He's, he's, uh, he's been arrested. There's blood on his hands. Um, and right off the bat, we, we are introduced to John Flood. Uh, 
and tells the detective in the room with him that uh, about a decade ago, he did work for the government. Um, they decided to poke around his brain and the intent was to remove the need to sleep. Wow. And they succeeded because my man has not slept a wink since. So the problem, what? the problem is the, uh, oh, it's, there are side effects. Oh, sure. Yeah. You go crazy. So it's permanent dream state. Um, and therefore he's got a little trouble. He has some trouble telling the difference between the real world and just what isn't the real world. Oh, this sounds right up my Yeah, mind. it does. But, uh, so, um, but apparently it's, it's not all bad because homeboy's got some relaxing hobbies. Um, and he can make connections to people with who do sleep, uh, make connections that they can't. So he's, he's useful in, in that regard. But, um, lately, well, we now cut to a week ago, um, where we meet a, uh, a gentleman, um, known as, uh, whose, whose name is Alexander Berry. And Mr. Berry, he, uh, he was found not guilty for, a murder. Uh, so when, when we're introduced to him, he is being a good Samaritan and, and there, he walks into a diner and the waitress, Anne, is, um, being hassled by two patrons. They're giving her a hard time. They're just bitching about stupid shit, you know, like, like sure. the fries are too well done. And, and, and so she goes, to, you know, put another order in. She's walking away. One of the other dudes, one of, one of the guys grabs her wrist, says, you know, we're not done talking to you. And then that's when Barry comes over, flexes, tells the guy that, uh, tells them that they're going to leave. There is one, one page, one, there's a set of panels that doesn't quite look right. Because of the way the setup was, Blondie was in the right booth and the dark haired dude was in the left. But when Barry comes over and squashes their alleged beef, um, he puts, no pun he, he puts his hands on, on, uh, Brunette and you see Blondie in the background looking all wide eyed and he's going to slide out of the booth, but he's sliding off the seat that was on the left side. Mm. So there's. You- you caught it. It was my no price. So, uh, I mean, it still works. I mean, the story's still moving along. It was just, it, it's one of those things where, you know, some douche would notice that and pick about it. But the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> self-deprecating humor is the best. It is the best. So, so these guys leave and, and, and one of the funniest parts of the book is, um, Barry goes over to Anne and he says, Anne, are you okay? And she says, I'm fine. Those were not smooth criminals. Oh, no. Are you serious? Yes. Annie, are you okay? <laughs> oh, shit. And then he's like, I'm sorry. She goes, it was, uh, never mind. Don't worry about it, Barry. So. See, now doesn't that completely enamor you to the writer? When they do little things like that, like, I mean, it could have fallen flat, but that's genuinely flat. It is, yeah. And you're just like, all right, <laughs> Justin, you got yeah. me. I'm, then, I'm in. Um. So he, uh, 
because I, I actually, I still haven't read Luther Strode, but I enjoyed the spread, you know, so it's, I, I, I like, I know, I, I like, Shame I like you. Justin Jordan, so I, I, yeah. which is why I gave this a shot, and, and I'm glad I did. Um, while Barry's trying to eat, he, uh, he's interrupted because, um, uh, Lita Brumbaugh comes over and sits at the booth, and, uh, she was watching Alex handle this piece of business so she was impressed and she says i have a job for you and and he goes what the hell makes you think that i'm looking for a job and so she says well because you were acquitted of a crime and i'm pretty sure since everybody knows this because she shows them uh video footage i guess from the trial um or from the murder scene itself uh that people probably who know him and are aware of him, probably aren't looking to hire him. But he has, he seems to have a skill set that is ideal for the job she's enlisting him for. It's basically her job. It's just that um, something has come up where she's going to need to leave. So she needs somebody to take her place. And her job is um, basically tending to John Flood. Mm. And uh, she... um they go to John Flood's house and there are books everywhere, obviously, because my man, I, <clears throat> I like this guy already. Uh, it's got all these books. He's, he's got, uh, he's got the hammers and the chisels and the stones. So he's tried sculpting. It looks like <laughs> he has made clothing. He's, uh, he's, he's studied and maybe even drawn maps. Um, so they're going through all these rooms and she's like, yeah, he's got lots of hobbies, lots and lots and lots of hobbies. And he's like, well, when does he sleep? And she goes, well, that one's easy. And then that's when John Flood shows up and says he doesn't. So, um, so I want his great first impression. Uh, he, um, he says that, uh, so there are any introductions. He says, uh, you know, Lita said you'd be right for the job. And, and Barry's like, listen, I, I don't mean to be rude, but, um, I, I don't actually know what the job is. And he says, well, Flood tells him it's, you know, the the case I'm going to be working calls for a man with a special set of talents. So those talents are, are your talents and, and Barry's still confused as hell. So before he says, listen, you know, this is, this is the job I'm going to show you to the pool. And, and what he's about to announce what the job is, this guy comes in calling Flood a son of a bitch, saying, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill you. And um, this person, uh, Bill, asked John. He, he hired John to find out what Bill's wife is doing. Oh. And I found out what she was doing. And, and Bill says, yeah, and then you told her, you showed her where I was keeping my money. And Flood's like, well, yeah. And he says, so she knows. She says, if I don't give her everything, she's going to the police. You've ruined my life. And Flood's like, oh. no, nah, I'm pretty sure you did that. And yeah, nice. <laughs> so, so he goes, he's like, all right. So, um, you're, uh, for some reason, okay. It looks like when my man pulls the gun out, Barry hits hits the ground it looks like he's in a in, in a three-point stance 
because you just because the panel is just everybody's feet except Barry's knees and hands are also on the ground. Mm. So I'm not sure if Barry was going to tackle this dude or because I don't think Barry was shying away from the gun. Uh, so before um before the guy could pull the trigger, Barry interferes. Um, Flood isn't going to press charges. He, uh, he thinks that, you know, if, if, if he pulled the trigger, there, there could be other things I know that, uh, that could get out. And I'm sure Bill is really sorry that he, that, that he tried to do this. So he's going to leave. And, and, and so he leaves. So at that point, now we're going to find out what the hell Flood needs Barry for. So gives him a duffel bag a t- with a ton of money in it and shows him the pool. And the pool has a map of the United States. And there are red marks all over this what? map. But the, ma- the, the marks are um, are basically little diagrams of bodies. And John Flood has basically been um, following a serial killer. Oh my God! So if if you enjoy Seriously, like criminal minds, then then yes. this probably be a, a book you'd enjoy as well. But uh, now this, is this from Image? This is from Boom. Boom! No kidding. This sounds like an image book. It does. And it, it, it kind of looks a little bit like an image book. The cover is very, um, Sienkiewicz-y, uh, but it's also drawn by, um, <laughs> oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, thank you. you. You know who, uh, Jorge Coelho is? He, I believe, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he did an issue, a bunch of issues of Zero. Oh, really? Maybe. maybe. Yeah, and I think he's on Loki, or he did Loki for Marvel. I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm pretty sure. But it's 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 a fantastic setup, and and it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I need to see where it's going. So I mean, Justin, the great with this. I mean, he's he's done he's done work for um. I think he he wrote the New Guardians for for DC. Uh, because I know he was fooling around with some of the Green Lantern stuff. Um. But that was a while ago. And of course all, all the image stuff he's been writing. So the, uh. Pretty sure Coelho did, um, some BPRD too. The name just. Yeah, it's not one that you kind of. And I, I'm looking at this flood stuff and it, it, I, it's probably the same guy. I gotta get this. Yeah, I think he'll dig it. You, you, you done sold it. I think this yep. is something that Jason would dig also. So. I don't know about that. He doesn't like pulp characters. <laughs> but he likes the nail biter. And, yeah, he and, does. And, you know, so I, there's, there's some things that, uh, I think on this he'd, he'd groove on. But no, I, I thought it was a pretty, there's, there's just enough there where, where, where it's a little bit of a tease. Where it's just like every, every time you think you're going to get an answer or a piece of the puzzle, it, you, you're just, the book is written as if John Flood is telling you this story and he kind of is because he's being interrogated and he's telling you what happened a week ago and you're getting up to the point of him being in the, uh, the room with this detective. So maybe that's deliberate and it's not just that things are haphazard or, or end abruptly. 
it's John Flood telling you this story and, and that's why it kind of goes off the rails because he's not able to concentrate. But I, I thought it was a, it was a pretty, pretty solid first issue and, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really good. Now I, I don't recall is Jorge inking his own work here? Yes. Nice. That dude is not afraid of a brush. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. No, I'm definitely going to have to grab this. Yes. It's a no-brainer. It sounds it sounds like a killer first issue. No pun intended. Well, maybe a little. I, maybe a little. I have written it down not only in the show notes but for me to to buy this thing. Beautiful. You have done well. And if you want to be done well with uh low prices on your favorite comic books and collectibles, all you have to do, it's really, it's another no-brainer. Just fire up your internet browsing device, your worldwide web thing. Uh, go to dcbservice.com, dcbservice.com, and join the, what did I say? The D, D-Sub Army. Yes. That's not going to catch on anytime soon. But anyway, <laughs> get the to discount comic book service because you will reap huge discounts on your favorite funny books and collectibles, such as, here's the list for this week. I Hate Fairyland, number one, from Image, by Scotty Young, $1.75. Walt Simonson, Ragnarok, hardcover, volume one, $12.49. And from Archie, the Black Hood, trade paperback, volume one, Bullets Kiss, a lousy $7.49. They do not mind late orders or order editions, and they will ship your stuff directly to the comfort of your own home. What more do you want? I don't know. In your travels, I had to go grab it. Yeah. Yet another anthology. This one published by Dark Horse. Um, a, uh, one time. Eh, no, still. Uh, a, uh, a series that is near and dear to my heart. Probably my favorite Magazine of all time. And you know what that is. It is Eerie, number seven, which is doing justice to the old Warren magazine. This time we have stuff by Jay Torres, Larry Hama, Archie Goodwin, which is the reprint for this issue, and R. Michael Rosen. On the art side, we have Alexander Perkins, Alex Toth, what? Uh, Mike Royer, Kirby's best anchor. But the reason why I'm pushing this is because of the story that caps off this issue, which is written by Larry Hama, G.I. Joe fame. The, the story in question is called How We Survived. And it is a tale of one La Longtooth. And she's from the clan of the eye. And this fetching young lass is on a hunt. And the landscape is eerily familiar. Like, you look at this landscape and you're like, I know this place. Where, where is this place? There are huge uh, stalks of something growing all over the place. The ground itself is cracked and striated in ways that I don't know. Maybe, maybe human skin would be. 
And uh, so this La Longtooth uh, encounters one Tark of the Ear Clan uh, while on a hunt. And Tark is a pretty much a bumbler. He's not a very good warrior. Um, La saves his bacon uh, against this gigantic creature, multi-armed creature. And um, there's a twist ending. That's all I'm going to say. But I didn't tell you the artist in question, did I? Nope. That's because it is one Timothy Seeley. And I want you to write this down because I'm going on the record saying this is the absolute best Tim Seeley has ever looked. Really? Ever. Yes. Uh, the artwork is jaw-dropping. It is of a caliber that, I mean, I love Tim Seeley and I, I, I have bought pretty much every series that this man has chosen to draw. He has never, in my estimation, cooked up a story as finely crafted as this. It's amazing. Um, I will say though, you can take the boy out of Eternia, but you can't take the Eternia out of the boy because the character designs would fit very well with the Masters of the Universe. I'm no surprise, right? Come on, it's Tim Seeley. Um, but it's fantastic. La is sexy and Tim does not shirk at showing her in positions that accentuate her loveliness, let's just say. It's amazing. Um, and like I said, there's a twist at the end. Absolutely gorgeous story. Reason enough to buy this issue. Uh, Alex Toth, Mike Royer, come on. These are heavy hitters. You're going to get some great stuff should you choose to buy uh, Eerie. It's, and it's only three ninety nine. Great. Just beautiful, beautiful. They, they're doing really good by the original series. I, I'm not going to be crazy and say they're outstripping Eerie because there's a lot of really talented people that worked on that original series, but this does it proud. So check out Eerie number seven from Dark Horse. It's really great stuff. And Tim, good going. Keep going in this direction. It's amazing. Uh, what? That's awesome. No, it is. Oh. What did you got? In your travel, since you mentioned Tim Seeley. What? You're going to go gracing on me, aren't you? I am going to tell you about an issue that is plotted by Mr. Seeley and Mr. Tom King. Written by Tim Seeley. Your art is by Mikhail Janin, and it is Grayson. This, in particular, Grayson number 10. Uh, the second <laughs> part of a story you know called... I'm not, go ahead. I'm not going to interrupt. Go ahead. But I did. What? But what? I did. Just... You know how I do the show notes? And whenever we talk about multiple instances of the same thing, like I'll do Image-O-Rama yes. or, or Secret Wars-O-Rama, I'm going to do Tim Seeley-O-Rama this That's week. That's awesome. He'll like that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, this is the second part of the Nemesis story and and when i think of dc and nemesis i think of a blonde dude who was in the back of detective comics for a few yeah. issues and then world's finest and then showed up in wonder woman uh when Wait. the dotsons and and uh simone were telling the story yeah didn't alex toth do nemesis 
We have some synchronicity. I think so. We have some synchronicity. But that person does not show up in this. This is not, no. yeah, so it's, it's, the, the story is nemesis, but that's not, uh, it's not about a particular person. But, um, Agent 37, also known as Dick Grayson, uh, he is, um, he is running away. He's escaping from the, uh, the Prado Museum in Madrid, Spain, and, uh, because he stole the necklace from a, um, from a princess. Basically, uh, I'm sorry, no, she's a duchess. And she was, she's not happy because her necklace had basically it was exotic gems and stones, but there was kryptonite in the necklace. So that's why he was there. He was there to take the necklace from her. She was, um, enamored by Mr. Grayson's taut tight buttocks. So that's what she was uh, attracted to when they were dancing. That's how he was able to get close enough to sneak away with the necklace. And while he gets away, he kind of leaves Agent um, Agent 1 behind. Um, and Agent 1 is is the Tiger King, Tiger King of uh, Kandahari. And, and she, um, she, he comes to, and there are a bunch of police and, and security guards surrounding him because Grayson left him because apparently there's somebody going around killing the agents of spiral and Dick thought it was, it, it seems as though somebody has been framing Dick for it, but the only person who's really been working with Dick is agent one. And so Grayson's like, well then fuck it. I'm going to take him out. So this way I don't get dead or get framed. So, uh, knocks out the Tiger King, gets away from everybody. Tiger King comes to, takes care of business himself. The Duchess is trying to get to the, uh, back to her necklace. And then we cut back to, um, St. Adrian's, the, the finishing school in England where Agent Zero and, and everybody else is, is, this is basically the, the, the training ground for all the agents of, um, of Spiral. So, the Huntress is trying to make sense of everything and keep things in check. She's Agent Zero now. Um, the Tiger King is trying to get out of Dodge, but he's also asking to hunt down Agent 37 with extreme prejudice, uh, but the Huntress shoots that down. Uh, and so now there's some conflict there because Agent 1 thinks Agent Zero is soft on Grayson. That's why... She doesn't want Agent One going after him. Part of the whole thing with this was that Grayson had to then drop off the necklace, and he is not happy with the person who he has to hand this over to. I'm not going to spoil anything. The cover kind of did, but I'm not going to say anything about who the meat is with. Um, Deathstroke. <laughs> no, but it's uh, it's. It's somebody who apparently murdered Dick Grayson before he went undercover. Wow. Um, so nobody's. If you've been reading the book for a time, you know who did that. There is a footnote, but yeah, and it's not, it's, 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 it didn't happen in Grayson because Grayson picks up where, but if you, yes, if you've been reading New 52 and, and have been reading about Dick Grayson for a while, then you know who this person is. Uh, 
because I didn't know who it was, and I've been reading Grayson since the first issue. So that was a neat reveal. Um, Grayson gets away, decides not to hand the necklace off, even though his services were paid for by this person he's supposed to be. So, so now, now of course Grayson's in trouble because he didn't go through with the deal that everything was set up for. Um, and we end on a pretty strong page where, uh, basically, uh, we've gotten to the, to the point where, where heads are butting and, and, uh, it, it's, Grayson has been even before convergence, the couple issues since convergence, I, I think Grayson has been, uh, it's been a beautifully illustrated book, but it has been pretty damn entertaining. And it's, it's, it's for the most part, I mean, except for this issue during this, the, the, um, the meat, it's kind of been self-contained. I mean, yeah, Grayson would phone home and, and talk to, to Batman. <laughs> uh, but he, um, you know, it's not like Batman's interrupting. There's no crossing over with a Batman book. Um, it's not like it's Bruce anymore. Well, that's the thing. Last issue yeah. when, since Bruce has been disappeared, uh, when Dick was, uh, trying to reach him, nobody would answer. So, you know, now Grayson's also probably got that on his mind, but for the most part, Grayson is, on its own, I mean, as a character and, and with this title, it's a, uh, it's, it, you know, there's, it's, I'm digging it because I, I'm a Nightwing fan and, and yeah, he is. That makes one of us. Well, I guess I was there when he was introduced. I, you know, yeah. so I mean, there's, I, I have that attachment to him. He was, he, retired the Robin persona became Nightwing was his own man because he was out of, he was out of Batman shadow enough, but he still had to pay respect to, you know, where he came from. So I, I get the whole name change. Um, I carry a grudge. Why? With what? Because what he, he should be with Barbara. Yes. He's, he's a silly, silly man because he, he took. That's redundant. It is. Cause I said silly twice. And me. Uh, he, he took the obvious route and went with the buxom, easy to lay alien when he had the best woman already. There. He had his Gwen. He, yes. And they, they have been teasing and toying with this relationship forever. And I think, what was it? Right before Crisis on Infinite Earths, the, the, uh, Infinite Crisis. They, Barbara and Dick actually got together. And then once Infinite Earths hit, that was undone. Right. Infuriates me. He should be with Barbara. So I don't dislike the character so much as I dislike the choices creative teams have had him make over the years. He should be with Barbara. She is the perfect fit. I don't, I don't disagree. It bugs me. The whole Corey thing, even though it was a, it was a crucial part of Teen Titans, it just didn't feel right for me. Why would Dick go with this? I mean, Dick is a street level character. He is human. He has no powers at all. And yet he's sleeping with a super powered alien. It's like sleeping with Superman. Why would you do that? He, the, the brains and the beauty and the, just the, 
the goodness of Barbara was completely lost on him after a while. Like, what? No. Uh-uh. And it's silly for me to feel this way. It's just because I like Barbara as a character so much that I dislike the way he apparently has wronged her, even though I don't think there was any wrongdoing at all. You know what I mean? It, it's irrational, but that's the way I feel. So, to me, away from all that crap, it does sound like that Seely and King have carved out a really nice part of the new DC universe with this book. You're making me want to read it. You should read it. I should, and I know I should. Because, and it's not really connected to any of the Bat books, I hope. No, not, not that, oh. not, not that I've, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it really is just, because it's, it, there's more mystery involved than anything else. And, and, you know, Grayson is part of Spiral because he's there on a mission because, you know, Batman wants to get to the bottom of this. So that's who he sent in there. And, and since Dick is dead, um, it just makes sense for him to be in a place where you're supposed to stay secretive. Uh, uh, so the impetus for the whole series is Bruce? Bruce put him in this position? We find out at the end of the first issue, just whenever he calls back to the Batcave, but there's no... It, he's not He's not going... It, it, every issue isn't Dick saying, oh, I got to do this for Bruce. Or Bruce told me uh-huh. to, you know, it's not like Bruce isn't his M or his Q. It's just he's, which is a James Bond reference. The, I know. I, I like okay. that you did that. Uh, it's a, I got it's it. a, <laughs> I'm glad. It's just, um, he's, there's the connection, but you're not, you're not hit over the head with it. Right. And it's not like every issue he's calling. So it's. How many issues to date? 10. I'll read them. You should. Cause I do love the covers. Yeah, the covers. And, and I, and I love Seely's work and I love King's work. So King is killing it. Yes. On Omega, on Omega Man. Yeah, I still have to read the third issue. Okay, I won't say anything. Yeah. Amazing. And you know what? While we have this tail end, we could just do whatever we want to do. Don't you think it's silly that they took Bruce out of the bat costume again? Doesn't that irk you at all? Yes. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, How many times are they going to do this? I mean, the reasoning could be super sound, but still, it's the same old mechanic. But it, and it's we had Jean Paul, we yeah. had Dick, we had uh who else was in the in the bat suit for a while? Wasn't Damien Batman for a while? I don't even in know. In that future but, story. Yeah, but this thing has the 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 take Bruce out of the suit. Dick was Batman for a while. It's played out it you know it's gonna go back why bother why put um what's his name who's in the bat suit oh now? gordon yeah duh why put gordon in the bat suit you know it's there's no legs on this thing bruce is eventually gonna go why do you go down this road every bunch of years and it's it always seems to coincide with a major change in superman's world Hmm. Superman's depowered now. That's interesting. Whereas when Bane broke Batman's back, it was the death of Superman. And Doomsday and, and, you know, so even Superman. Oh my God. Neither one that, could just enjoy their own. That's amazing that you noticed that. Not that it's amazing that 
a lunkhead like you would notice it. But I'm just saying, it's amazing that I never thought of that. So what happened when... when um, what about the New 52, when the Trinity went away? And it was the world without heroes. And, I mean, even then, it was, you know, Superman was, was depowered, because like you pointed out, you know, he went through the Red Sun when he was fighting... Um, Whoever the hell he was fighting, but it, you know, he, Bruce went away and Wonder Woman went away and, and Superman went away for a year. You have something here. Hmm. So unrest in the Trinity affects them all. Yeah. That's awesome. Because you also have, because in, in Superman Wonder Woman, there's the, um, you know, she's trying to help. Seriously, you are freaking brilliant. How did you? Jeez. This is awesome. No, this works. This makes sense. Years ago, when someone asked, there was an interview. May have been Amazing Heroes, but no, maybe not. Somebody asked. I think it was CBG, but the editors of the two lines, which is probably Carlin and Crap O'Neill, um, they. Uh, I think it was O'Neill editing the Batman books. Pretty sure. Um, but, you know, they were like, well, you, you guys are doing the same. What you just did with one, you're doing with another. And they're like, we had no idea what the other group was doing. And we, we, we went in saying this is what's going to happen to Batman. We didn't know what they were doing to Superman. And, and I don't know how true that is. I mean, I know with Marvel, you kind of have the retreats and everybody's talking about everything they're doing. It's not, I don't think you have just, you know, Bendis doing his X-Men stories and then Hickman doing his stories with the Avengers. I think everybody talks, but I thought back then. Yeah. The reasons don't matter because it happens, as you said, in tandem, right? Something happens to Superman. Something happens to Batman. It, you know, okay. David Faust is going to agree with me on this. Probably no one else will, but it may be the concept concepts themselves demanding this. Uh Uh-huh. And I lost you. No, 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 because I'm, it, you know, th- th- these things are so strong. Yeah. They, they could, I mean, there's no such thing as coincidence. Because if you, if, if they both, they both have to be hurting at the same time. Because if you had, if you had a completely well Superman, then he'd be able to save Bruce. If you had a completely well Bruce Wayne, the Batman, yes. then he'd be able to figure out what's happening. I Superman, like that. But, but, but together, when they're not 100%, they can't help each other fully. Oh, this is amazing. And when you factor in Wonder Woman, it makes sense. Because she would have done the same thing, too. Right. And there isn't, I mean, the only thing going on with Wonder Woman is, because I'm not reading Wonder Woman, is, I mean, they, they did the... the the jump on point with the Finches, and I, I don't know how it, how they, if they went down a different route than uh, Azarello and Chang were going with, with, with her origins and whatnot. So I don't know what's going on in the Wonder Woman books, but she Dude, is affected. Just for shits and giggles, Google the Artemis era of Wonder Woman. When did that happen? Oh, that happened. Oh, I see what you said. Was that was that Death of Superman? Uh. Ah, the sound yes. of David. Dunn. Yes. Uh, <laughs> jump to, okay, Artemis as Wonder Woman happened. Let's see. 
talk. Okay. Um, as usual, we enjoy you being here with us. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please come back next week. We'll be here waiting for you. Please leave us an iTunes review if you are so inclined. We would appreciate that very much. And if would you would like some extracurricular activity with uh, David, Jason, and myself, we have a Facebook group, 11 O'Clock Comics. We also have a forum. You can come join and be part of our extended family. It is at www.11oclockcomics.com. As usual, we will be waiting there for you because without you, we are less than nothing. That is true. Talk to, talk to me, David. The, uh, okay, Wikipedia is absolutely useless because it doesn't give me issue numbers. <laughs> uh, but there is, let's see. Uh, do, 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 do. I'm going to say, I think that was during William S. Malone's run, right? Loeb was, yes, I think so. Um, and I know that Byrne did something with the character, but, um. Not much, though. No, I know. He, um. Hey, John, what do you do when you're writing Wonder Woman? Um, bring in Doomsday? <laughs> what? Uh, let's see. It's post-crisis. She is, alright, Amazons. Um. First appearance, 1987, number 90. But other identities, Wonder Woman. All right, here we go. She was Wonder Woman from night number ninety-three. So ninety-three had a cover date of what the hell? Oh damn you, Wikipedia! No, no, this is um. All right, let me do this. Let me do this. It, it's Comic Book DB because I'll be able to. I like comic books. Yep, I'll be able to see September 1994. So what else? What other DC books came out in September of 94? That's Return of the Superman. Right? And probably, let's see. So. I know he had his long hair in 94. Superman number 75 is when he, it's when he was killed, right? Yes. Okay. So let's do a search. Superman from 1987. 94 is definitely after Death of Superman, because he had the long hair in 94. And 70, okay, so yes, yeah, so January 93 is when he died. And so it's still roughly around the same time. There was, let's see, Give Funeral for a Friend, Reign of Superman, Dead Again, or there was Zero Hour was September 94. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't entirely fit. With not with Ned, not with Artemis. Yeah, our hypothesis. But it's a year. If you give us a year leeway, <laughs> and why would you? The, if it's if if you're not um, willing to do that, then we're full of poop. But I like to think that the tr- the, the Trinity would all change at the same time. Yeah, I think that was most apparent during during uh, at the end of of Infinite Crisis with with Fifty Two um, when when they went away. You know what? Kitson did not draw a good Superman. Sorry, Barry. 
You're great on Legion. He was, but he, I, I thought, I thought uh, JLA Year One was pretty good. I mean, not that 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 wasn't entirely Superman. I mean, that wasn't a Superman centric story because that was the origin story without the Trinity. So Superman would show up, but I I, I still think he did a decent job in that. You know, I just did a simple cursory Superman 1994 search, and it leaves me with one thought uh, preeminent in, in my mind. I miss John Bogdanoff. Yep. I love his stuff. Where the hell is John Bogdanoff? He's, he's on Facebook. Uh, he, he tried that Kickstarter a year or so ago. About the, uh, I think it was the Circus Strongman that, that, that didn't get funded because the, well, I think because the reward tiers were a little, a little off, but, um, no, he's still, he's, why isn't he working in, in, in mainstream comics? I think he did something with the, um, the Adventures of Superman book or something. He, he, he drew a cover. Um, I don't know if he did any interiors. But I mean, every, yeah. every so often, yeah, DC's like, hey, we, remember when you drew Superman? And then they kind of use him for something. But I do not know what he is doing on a daily basis right now. The dude is fantastic. I love his Superman. Yeah. Oh, me fantastic. too. I think, I think he's one of the best Superman artists ever. Especially with the long hair Superman. But I, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Yep. Because he brings like a, I mean, yes, he's working on a mainstream character, but he brings a more fluid, uh, almost, what is the word I'm looking for? He brings a different aesthetic to the character that, that you don't expect to see on a mainstream book. Like he's not super flashy, but he is, I mean, his, his, uh, his figures are incredibly animated. Um, I like to think there's a little bit of Kurtzman in Bogdanov. Of course, I see Kurtzman everywhere. So just maybe me, but yeah. The the one cover that he did, the uh, the worlds collide. The milestone, yes. Oh, Looking yes. Over. Oh, so great. It is. it is amazing. And, he was, and there's a little there's a little bit of Simonson there is. in Bob. Absolutely, too. there is because because again with the broad shoulders and he he can draw a big man really well. You you yeah. you, you believe these people are larger than life, and and that's that's what you need with Superman and. Um, which made him perfect for Steel when when Superman died. He it, Steel worked best with Bogdanov than it did if if Jurgens and Breeding were drawing it or yeah. or, or you know, it just he Jurgens is firmly entrenched in the mainstream. I mean, I love him to death, but I associate Jurgens with mainstream art. He he's pretty much he. I don't want to. This is not derogatory, but. Jurgens is mainstream by the numbers. He's very beautiful to look at. He's a realist. He's, you know, incredibly versatile, but he has, there's a sheen to Jurgens. Whereas Bogdanov, there's a grit. Yeah. There's a, there's an unpredictability to Bogdanov that I really liked. Whereas, oh well, you know, we, what are you going to we, do? We've, We've been saying it for years. I mean, it's the, the those weekly Superman books were just yeah, pieces of heaven. I mean, it was. I mean, you had you had Jackson guys, you had Dan Jurgens, you had John Bogdanov, and and um uh oh oh fucking um Tom Grummet. I was just gonna say Grummet, yeah. and and I was gonna um cap it off with 
definitely my favorite Superboy artist. Of all oh, without time. a doubt. Tom, yeah, without Tom Without a doubt. Yep. And I enjoyed him on Titans Hunt, too. That Those issues with Carl Kessel, when they went to, uh, they brought the Commandy characters into it, oh my God. Yeah. It was like a Christmas present. It was, yeah. No, he was, he was, it, he wasn't, he wasn't ripping off Jack, but it was, it was, it no, was, it was, it was no if, right? And it was as if Jack was drawing today with, 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 you know, a looser line, and it just it, yeah. everybody looked fantastic. You, you, no doubt. Yeah, Grummet's women are incredible too. I look yeah. for Grummet. I, I actively search out his work, and I will buy anything that. uh I mean, of which I'm aware that Grummet worked on. And uh, I think he's great. Great, great artist. All right. I think we've done it very uh, well without Jason. Maybe we'll continue the trend next week. Uh-oh. See what happened when you miss a week, Jason? Uh, nah, we won't. We won't even consider it. But anyway, come back next week because you know the drill. If you don't do it, one of us not me, gets very verklempt that you're not here because he loves you so much. And if you're not here, he feels it. So come back for David. Aw. Aw, please. And uh, as usual, we'll be here waiting for you. Yeah, probably. Say, you know, we will be. Say good night, David. Good night, David. You have that down to a science. I'm almost scared of you right now. Are you a robot? You yourself? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. It's, it's not leave, Saturday. Leave. <laughs> Dude, I'm 50. I can only get that out once a week. Uh, we love you guys. Peace Thanks out, for people. Yeah. Bye. Ladies. <laughs> so silly. Uh, Jerry Ordway drew the first... Superman Triangle issue. It was an issue of Superman number 51, The Menace of the Mysterious Mr. Z, and it was by Ordway and Jank. Huh? No surprise. Ordway's a beast. He is. I love his barrel chest. He is. He is uh, if, yeah. if, if Grummet's doing Kirby and, and Badenov is doing some Simonson, Ordway's doing Wayne Boring. I was going to say Swan, but I'll yeah, it more because Boring had the barrel yeah. chest. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, as far as the look of everybody, I could, I, I could see that, but being Swan. Damn it, you, you're making me want to read Superman, and currently, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Maybe I'll dig into my long boxes. Yeah, I want to too. I want yeah, um, we're not recording, right? We are. Oh, and, and we're saying goodbye again because uh, there are things you guys aren't supposed to hear. Later. Bye. The this time. We do love you, even, even Jason. Right. With his yes. There's no need to be so mysterious, love. Speak from your heart, don't read it off a card. I will listen to what you have to say. Promise this you will do for me the same. Oh.
Put your heart in mine, won't 